and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Thank you so much for your belief and your trust in us as we uh, approach the news and headlines. You know, <clears throat> most uh, most news outlets they're uh, they're very shallow, but yet very wide in terms of their, the depth. No depth, but uh, certainly they cover a lot of headlines, and that's what American Americans in the West are used to. We in turn. Uh, Go a little bit deeper and uh, get the stories behind the headlines. Get the real scoop behind the headlines, uh, folks. We broadcast weeknights seven to ten p.m. Eastern. Global Star Radio Network. That's the place to be. Global Star Radio Network. And uh, we're also simulcast on Blog Talk Radio and also YouTube Live. I want to thank again, thank each and every one of you for joining us tonight. Um, now, there's a lot of news out there. This I, I do want to start off with something that. Uh, Something that, that, that's uh, kind of personal to me, and, and it made the news. And uh, uh, this is a tactic. All right, I want everyone to know this is a tactic. In, in case you missed it, or in case you haven't heard about it yet, um, you everyone understands. For example, Bill O'Reilly was um, let go last week from Fox News under the due in part, ostensibly because of. Uh, Sexual harassment, and um, that seems to be the 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 way things go. Now, did he do it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> do we know? I don't know. Um, and, and many many are falling to that um, activity. Now, I, I, I this I, I want people to understand. I want everyone to understand. I want people to take a broader look. Don't just settle on the headline. Take a broader look. Take a look be, beneath, behind the headline. And, and this is important because um, what we're seeing today is lawfare. I've talked about this many, many times. I've uh, I've made mention of this. The latest, of course is a internet blogger by the name of uh, Debbie Schlossel who on Friday on the Cat, uh, Pat Campbell show uh, KFAQ 1170 out of Tulsa accused Sean Hannity of sexual harassment okay now I knew I knew about this obviously this weekend and Friday and such and um, Pat Campbell's a very good friend of mine. He was the host. Of, he he's, is the host of the Pat Campbell Show, and he's he's a good friend of mine. I've known him for fifteen years. He's a stellar guy, a fantastic talk show host, great family man, wonderful children, wonderful family. And the reason I bring him up is because he's he was the host of the show. 
where this Debbie Schlussel accused Sean Hannity of uh, sexual harassment. The clip is on Facebook and I think the uh, KFAQ website. I'm not sure where it's at. It's, you can find it out there. Now, ordinarily, I would not mention this. And in the interest of full disclosure, I have a problem with Debbie Schlussel myself because I am one of many, and I mean many, people that she has accused of plagiarism. She, she accused me of plagiarism. This is going back, what, 15 years. And just like, you know, I gotta tell you, really, of course she accused, uh, uh, LA Times of plagiarism. She's accused, uh, uh, Rush Limbaugh, I believe, of plagiarism. She accused Jerome Corsi of plagiarism. She calls Pamela Geller, Scamela Geller. She calls, um, uh, Hersey Ali, uh, Ali, her, uh, the, uh, the, and Bridget, uh, Gabriel, uh, Muslim women, um, she's said some very unkind things to them. And, uh, there's not a, there's not a person in my view that she does not like, or that she, that she likes, should say, or respects. And she's got a little cult following, you know, Norman and certain people that kind of bolster her up and, you know, pat her on the head. And, and like, uh, it's interesting because she also has a, a picture that's probably 20 years old on her website. I don't know. I don't know how old it is, but it's it's dated. And, of course, you know, it's here in real life. It's a huge difference. Not that that makes any difference in this conversation, but the, but, but here's the thing, all right? I, and and here's, here's the bigger issue. Most people are missing the bigger issue. The, the tactic of the progressive... Oh, by the way, she's a conservative, self-proclaimed conservative. And the, the timing on this was unique because uh, I'm going to kind of back up a little bit and just tell you that John Robertson, our our, our uh, program director and, and producer, had unknowing, not knowing the relationship, the adverse relationship she has with me. I, I never had any problem with her until she accused me of plagiarism. But then, uh, and which I never did. I mean, really. Um, and you can read about it. It's on her site. It's good. Like I said, it goes back a dozen years or so. And it's, uh, uh, her accusations in my view are just, uh, they're just, her claims are specious and they're just, they're idiot. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, she's, in my personal opinion, she is just off her rocker. And she's struggling for relevancy. She's, in my personal opinion, she's unhinged. Again, these are my personal opinions. And I'd like to remind everyone with, uh, you know, the teams of lawyers, I'm allowed to have opinions here in the United States. Of course, that does not, that does not necessarily stop those who file defamation suits against yours truly, you know, for $10 million. It's fair game, right? Yeah. Just in case, you know, in case people just wonder why I have an attitude sometimes about things. And it's, it's public knowledge, of course. You know, I spent the last year and a half defending a defending a defamation suit. I'm one of a co-defendant, one of a number of co-defendants in a defamation suit by, by someone, and uh, it's cost me a lot of money. It's, in my view, it's baseless, but I can't talk about it. See, I just can't talk about it. But the, the fact that it's there is public knowledge. But see, 
she, De- Deborah Schlossel had accused um, Sean Hannity of uh, sexual harassment. Now, to me, this is the new racism. This is the new racism. This is the new Islamophobia. This is the new whatever, you know. This is the new tactic. I shouldn't say it's new, but th- this is the takedown. Now, are some of the... Uh, are some of the claims of sexual harassment um, are, are they legitimate? I suppose I don't know. That's for a court to decide, I suppose. But in this case, I know that Debbie Schlissel walked those claims back. Apparently, from what I know, and my wife said something very interesting. She said, "You know, it really hurts those women who have legitimate claims," and she's she's correct. But like anything else, the legal system has been weaponized because it is my understanding, and I could be incorrect. I spoke with Pat Campbell today uh, for quite a while. And, uh, again, a great guy. But it's my understanding that she is going to, going to in turn file a defamation suit against Sean Hannity. The difference between Sean Hannity and uh, me, Sean Hannity's got deep pockets. I don't. Okay, but anyway, here's the thing. In my view, this is kind of a tactic of uh, those people who want to silence people like us. Now, I'm not saying that that's what this is, but you see the template that's emerging here. And again, I'm not saying that's what this is. You see the template that is emerging. Make an accusation or file a lawsuit cause the other person cause damage to the other person's reputation cause damage to the other person's pocketbook cause damage to the other person's income stream cause damage to the other person's sponsors cause damage inflict the the, the most damage possible and this is what's happening to conservative Christian talk show hosts out there you understand it's a war that that we're engaged in and I think I would urge everyone to, to understand the bigger picture and look at the bigger picture. Um, in my personal opinion, uh, this is a tactic of the progressive left to use the uh, accusations such as this to silence those who are effective in telling the truth. Now, you might take issue and say, oh, well, Sean Hannity isn't, I, I never liked him or this or that. You know, it's not about the personality. It really is not. It's about the message, and it's about silencing the message. And I just want to drive that point home because the the and, and again, this may not and does not necessarily apply to to Sean Hannity because Sean Hannity is coming back, at, and and I, it's my understanding he is uh, he's got uh, he's got a lawyer and he's suing uh, Debbie Schlissel for making the accusations. And, and if you look at her website too. Not that I recommend it, because I don't recommend time-wasting. But uh, if you look at uh, her website, you'll see that uh, she's accused him of everything from uh, sexual harassment, in this case, uh, later, latest to uh, actually embezzling money, I, from my understanding, from the way I read it. So, um, but, but in this case, this is someone striving for relevance lost. This is someone striving to be... Uh, to be a scorched earth uh, implement. Again, this is my personal and professional opinion based on what I know. 
and I find it sad. I, I look at I look at I look at her personally. I find it sad. And those plaintiffs, or the plaintiff in my case, you know, I find it very sad. I really do. I can't. I can't. But again, I, I'm. I can't say a word. I can. I can say about. You know, I can't say a word about. It. But, but but see again, this is what I, I mentioned this only for one reason. You've got to understand the playing field. Look, the the bigger, the more impact you have, the bigger the target you are. And you better know going into this arena of truth telling that you've got a target and you're going to pay, they're, or they're going to attempt to make you pay. Whether the claims have any merit whatsoever or not, it doesn't matter. Just get that through your head. It does not matter if the claims have any merit whatsoever. The damage is is inflicted, and the money is spent. Now, somebody like, for example, like Sean Hannity can spend... I'm sure it has a lot easier time spending, you know, $400 an hour for an attorney or $600 an hour for an attorney than, than yours truly. You can count on it. Take that to the bank. But nonetheless, it's incomplete, right? This is what, in my personal opinion, my professional opinion, this is, this is what the playing field is like now. So if you take that step up and you begin, you decide, okay, I'm going to start telling the truth or I'm going to start delivering news. I'm going to start delivering, uh, you know, getting into and exposing the wrong things that are taking place out there. You better be prepared for a fight and an asymmetrical fight at that. And the asymmetry comes from lawfare. It, that's one of the tools. It comes from, uh, it comes from, uh, uh, accusations baseless without merit. It, it, Trust me when I tell you, this is not a courteous fight, a civil fight. The people, the enemies of the truth, lack, in my personal opinion, they lack civility. In my personal opinion, they lack intellectual honesty. They lack morality. In my personal opinion, they they lack spirituality. They lack decorum. They lack class. And they, they lack a moral and spiritual compass. It's not about right. I don't believe it's about right. It's about destruction. It's blood sport to many. It's a game to many I want everyone to understand that that the playing field again has been changed you walk on the playing field be prepared to take some hits and damn expensive ones at that and when I say expensive oh yeah but you see you've got to carry on the fight I can tell you this, you're going to find out who your friends are very quickly. 
you're going to find out who is backing you 100% very quickly. You're going to find out who can stand in the gap with you very quickly. Folks, my message is very simple. Whether it is this case, I think I think it's interesting, this case to me, this this person that has, Debbie Schlesel, in my view, has done nothing but uh, engaged in the, the uh, process of destruction, personal destruction, inane and insane claims, in my personal opinion, against fine individuals, a number of fine individuals, for a decade and a half. And to me, that's that's sad. She's attempted to, she has, in my personal opinion, she has attempted to destroy reputations. She has attempted to, uh, I don't, I don't believe she's a very nice person. Now watch, I'll, I'll get sued. I'll be a named defendant. You don't think it can happen? It can. Hurt someone's feelings? Yeah. It can. Time is indeed short. The playing field has changed. The players are changed. The tactics have changed. And we're not going to do this tonight. Yes, we are. No, we're not going to do this, please. You know, I, I knew something was a little uh, weird when my wife and daughter came to the. Yeah. Studio. No, we're not. You know, I, I really don't. Take the fun of everything, Dad, and and you know we gotta wish you a happy birthday, and we gotta do it properly with the family right. and, and the audience here. Um, well, it's the least we can. It, do. it does break. You know, it it does kind of take me off my stride. Not that some people will say I was never in one. We can't get you. You know. Out of the house or the studio long enough to get a surprise party going. Mom licked one of the candles, so it won't light. Folks, it was uh, Renee's birthday was on Friday. My dad's birthday was on Saturday. Well, thank you. They guys. just shared their twenty-sixth wedding anniversary, and they share a birthday minus one day. We went out and, and celebrated Renee's birthday on Friday evening with a very nice dinner. All right. And this is Thank as much you. as he would let us do with him. I, had I known this, it wouldn't have even happened, to be honest with you. But on Friday, so he told me if we did this, he was going to walk out live uh, on I, air. I, I really, yeah, so, I, I can't do it right now. But I, And then, Eric, I that's what they're seeing on YouTube. The uh, That's a, um, a new camera uh, that we have. Um, yeah. Okay. Looks good. Well, thank you very much. So do I have to blow these out? So it's the 65th birthday. It's not my 65th. It's not my 65th. No. Oh, I made a wish already. <laughs> I, I did. I did. It's a happy one. Okay. All right. So I can blow them out now. All right. We're not going to say. I did it. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Here we go. Happy Thank birthday. You Thank you very much. And uh, all of you listening out there and watching out there can come over for cake and, uh, you know. And, Dad, see, I was really going to get you with one of the snappers as yeah. you were blowing out the candle. Yeah, it's nice. 
All right. So anyway, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. But but you know, no, you're right. I mean, um, this whole thing has changed. It's it's you know. And just a little background on on um, this Debbie Slushel. Back in 2006, thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Renee. Thank you very much. Back in 2006, yeah, she accused you of a number of things. I can't remember plagiarism being one of them. And she was taken to task by a number of people who were familiar with the situation back then. But since then, she's accused Jerome Corsi, yeah. Jeff Jacoby, a uh, yeah. prize-winning uh, journalist, Monica Crowley, Mark Levin, Michael Savage, Sean Hannity. That's just uh, you know, alone off the top of uh, on the top of my head of who she accuses of plagiarism. Then apparently she is the person behind the. Um, Alleged sexual harassment claims that she says Sean Hannity right. uh, waged against her, which then she had, has uh, since uh, walked back due to threats of being sued by Sean Hannity. I imagine. Well, I think I think that's a done deal. And then I, she, I there was some weird, weird going to be sued comment she made on Twitter. Um, uh, Sean was mad at me because I dyed my hair red, and but I thought uh, that was like old. old no, that was from the twenty first of April. Okay. From if, if I read that uh, correctly, but yeah, it's it's um. Well, people anyway. are out there to get attention. And See, it's really not about her. It's not about any one individual. It's about the collective um, efforts, and, and that's that's what I really want to drive home. It's about the. Um, it is about the new way, and you know we had talked about the censorship aspect. Uh, in fact, you talked on, on Dave Hodges last night about, for example, YouTube uh, demonetizing videos or other venues taking away ad revenue. Mm -hmm. Trust me, that does hurt a lot of people. It hurts us. But we have, however, we have a great audience who support us in many ways financially. Uh, Some great, great people who who fill in the the gaps. And you have no idea how much that helps. But to those who don't have that, 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 that honest to goodness, God-given lifeline, I feel horrible. I, 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 because those are the people uh, who are risking everything or who have risked everything and put, you know, everything on the line, uh, just to get the truth out there. You, you know, e- even w- enduring idiots, and I say that, and I know I overuse that word, but I do believe that that's accurate, uh, definitively accurate, who email, who send emails, you know, and, and harass, serial stalking, who send condoms, use condoms in the mail to us, who to send, uh, you know, packages that, that look like, uh, you know, or other things that, that don't, certainly don't pose any immediate hazard, as some bloggers would say, oh, well, well I would call the police, you know, as if they know. They don't know. And everyone thinks they know. I, I was, I, I, there were four or five different threads on the political, far or right wing political road, a free republic. And I was looking at some of the comments, just about the Debbie Schlissel situation. And, and, and some of the people that were posting on there had no clue what they were, what the hell they were talking about. Absolutely. But would speak with authority. Oh man. You know, to me, I'm thinking, if you don't know, if, for example, okay, I, I, Pat Campbell's a great guy. 
Uh, by the way, and this has the, the, no one's saying it's not, but Pat Campbell, to me, is one of the finest family men and finest, finest talk show hosts I know. I've, in fact, I owe him a breakfast. But anyway, um, they were saying things about him, writing things about him. But I spent probably 45 minutes on the phone with him today. If you don't know what the hell you're talking about, shut up! <laughs> It's simple as that. How hard is that? Or if you do know and have something to, to add, how about a degree of civility? To me, calling someone racist or accusations of sexual harassment. Oh, what a class, classless act. Specifically when they're made out, made up of, yeah. out of whole cloth. Yeah. Because, yeah. obviously, uh, sexual harassment is a, is a serious thing, but when it is used as a tool. You just have no idea what the for people. For attention, to elevate your own okay. self. It, it, I mean, it, you know, you go through a lot. I mean, we go through, Eric, uh, John Robertson, uh, Joe and I, look, we go through a lot. You have no idea what we go through during the average day. The phone calls, the harassing, the stalking, the threats, the, you've got no idea. You've, and you know, it's so funny because, <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. Well, where's the police report if you get threats? Really? You, do you really think that the police are interested in, in who threat, who's threatening us today? Call us when there's a homicide. And I'm fortunate you're the big personality. You catch most of the flack. Oh, I don't know. There's a couple of people who want to beat you. Of course, I take it back. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I guess, look, I just want to tell you this. I, with all of my heart, number one, I, we appreciate every, each and every one of you as listeners. But number two, please understand, if you, if you, for example, Rick Wiles. Oh, and the thing I want to talk to, I know we're at the break, but, you know, Tom Bowerly, WBEN, he was under surveillance. And I remember... uh so, in fact, the uh, individual who was the impetus behind this defamation suit against me saying, well, there we know, there's, that's all BS. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, wouldn't you know? You know, Tom Bowerly, if you read Canada Free Press about a year, what, six, seven, eight months ago, you'll find out that, uh, oh, no BS, surveillance, big time. He was under surveillance and harassed. Yeah, anyway. Folks, we are coming up against our break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Josh Tolley. He's the first guest tonight. we got a, a fantastic show lined up for you. You're not going to want to go anywhere. It's an in, going to be an information-packed show. <coughs> Excuse me. And when we come back, Josh Tolley will be joining us to give us some uh, new information and some updates on some stuff he talked about on the show before. We'll be right back. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. 
T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Wink Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Edition of the Hagman Hagman Reporter guest Josh Tolley of the Josh Tolley Show. The link is in the program description and also, folks, look for the Old Time Radio on our website. And there you'll find the schedule for the week and find the appropriate links to everyone's show. John Robertson does a fantastic job in, in really creating that. Josh Tolley uh, is on today because, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, three, three years ago, Josh Tolley was on Turkish television and, in fact, he was on our show. Um, I'm not sure what the time uh, frame is, but he was saying, watch Turkey. Turkey's going to be a big deal. And sure enough, it is, especially with the news out of Turkey and the consolidation of power by uh, uh, Arian. Josh, come on board, my friend. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Great to see you guys again. Nice nice to see you. And by the way, folks, uh, Josh Tully, can I, can I, can I, Break the, can I say your? Oh, sure, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, Josh Holly got married. In fact, he's been married about ten weeks. So wish him, <laughs> wish him a happy marriage. And uh, I couldn't. Uh, he's got a beautiful wife, and it's a, just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, anyway, yeah, Josh, you were talking about Turkey before it was popular. Well, 
talk. What's what's going on? Oh, so okay, yeah. Uh, years and years and years ago, I was already talking about Turkey. How Turkey's in play. How we have to be careful of what Turkey's doing. And what's interesting is about a year and a half ago, I believe, I was on your show, at least a, a good solid year, and I was talking about Erdogan, Erdogan, however people want to pronounce it, and I said, look, this guy is a power-hungry, maniacal just disaster waiting to happen, and he was building the world's largest presidential palace of the modern era, and I said, there's no way this guy's going to give up power. I mean, this is, this is a serious power play. And as time grew, so we saw it kind of come to fruition. And I got hundreds and hundreds of, of emails just full of hate from people in Turkey uh, about how I'm, how I'm talking down against Erdogan and how he's a great leader of democracy. And I said, just wait, just watch. Because it's not that hard to predict when power-hungry people want to be power-hungry people. So I predicted the coup. I predicted the coup would fail. And I also predicted that he would use the coup as a, as a way to consolidate power. And the reason the coup is so easy to predict, because people ask, you know, did you have some sort of inside knowledge? And the answer is no. No, I didn't. But because he wasn't able to grab the power, well, then he needed to do something. He either had to have an internal tragedy or a military action. And a coup is kind of the best of both worlds in a, in a, in a way. So I'm saying that, yes, the coup was a setup. And I said that when I predicted it. I said it's going to be a setup because afterwards he's going to get the power that the people were not willing to give him before the coup. And sure enough, look at where we're at now. And if people aren't paying attention, on the 15th or 16th of this month, he essentially became Sultan of Turkey. He's rebuilding the Ottoman Empire. What he got passed is really a referendum of unchecked power. They are completely eliminating the office of prime minister. That's gone. They're getting rid of a series of judges that served as a check and balance system to the president. That's gone. They're getting rid of the separation of parties between the president and the other political parties. That's gone. They're increasing the amount of, of authority he can wield without any sort of approval. So that's increased. And he's going to be president now until at least 2029. And even then, he can continue to run if the congressional members approve it. And, of course, now that there's no separation of parties, of course they're going to approve it. So he's, a, he's essentially now the Sultan of Turkey. Now, what's interesting about that, before this power play, before the coup even, he was pushing for a unified Islamic army, something that people said would never happen because the Sunni and the Shiites have been fighting each other for so long, there's not going to be a, a united army. Well, don't be so sure about that, because now he's saying with the threat of ISIS and how that really is going to be a threat to Mecca and how there is no solid caliphate, let Turkey become the caliphate, create this unified Muslim army, and at least until we get rid of the great Satan, we can have a unified front. And if you don't believe it's happening, just watch. I mean, look at it, what was it, only a year ago when they had a moment of silence at that Turkish soccer game. And instead of a moment of silence, the audience started screaming Al-Akbar and they started, you know, just going crazy. So what we've seen in Turkey it should be alarming to everybody, believer or non-believer alike, because it's a consolidation of power in what is a NATO member. See, now that's the other part of this. 
This is a guy who's part of, or at least he's trying to be part of the EU. He's trying to be a, a member of alliances militarily with the U.S. So you have almost like a, a, a fox in the hen house, so to speak. You know, some of these countries you can say, well, at least they're on the outside. They're not part of these alliances. Ah, that's not the case with Turkey. Turkey is part of these alliances. So now you're having a predominantly Muslim-majority country and going more radical, not less, more fundamentalist, not secular, as part of these alliances, which causes a massive red flag for anybody who's paying attention. Yeah, you know, and in reading over, um, there was 18 constitutional amendments that Turkey approved um and the uh, article I'm looking at is from the Washington Post. It says Erdogan was not the authoritarian all along. Um, but then they go to talk about how, you know, there's been a huge increase in the jailings of uh, journalist opponents, uh, how he's decapitated the armed forces, um, brought force against peaceful protesters. And yeah. there is, um, you know, some people like Stan Dale, uh have their eye on him. That he is, you know, the one behind the, the caliphate that trying to push well, this. It could be the, is anti, the yeah. Islamic Antichrist, uh, is, is some people believe. And we know oh, that yeah. he is, uh, somebody who has unleashed, purposefully unleashed, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of refugees into, uh, European nations. He, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a number of things that this, that this man has done and, it seems as though he wants to continue to consolidate power, and he does so with the authoritarian rule. And he is the, Turkey is a NATO member, an ally of the United States. So where does that put Turkey in the when we when we talk about the Syrian civil war, when we talk about you know the warmongering with Iran, the the, the further destabilization of the Middle East, uh, is Turkey? Uh, going to come out of this as a powerhouse? Are they going to be a major player in you know the future uh, of what happens in the Middle East as far as the conflicts and the solutions? What do you think we'll see from Udrogan now that he has these, um, you know, basically these new powers and the sweeping authority? Well, that's, that's a great question because remember just last year he shot down a Russian fighter jet and seemingly got away with it. And then a Russian foreign minister was shot point-blank by a Turkish police officer right at an art exhibit. So this guy is not afraid to flex his muscle. He's also not afraid to hide things under the radar either. He's been caught funding ISIS as well as supposedly fighting ISIS, and I'm not saying we're any more innocent. I mean, if you look at the history of ISIS, we started it. But the point is that this guy's not a not a good player. And then you take that a step further with the threats he was making against Europe before these elections just a few weeks ago, talking about how if Europe is banning Muslim immigrants, then he's going to unleash a, a new wave of Muslim immigrants back into Europe. Well, that doesn't sound like somebody who's part of the European player. I mean, that's just that's that's outside the box. But when it comes to uh, relationships with other countries, and especially when it comes to Syria, think of the situation we have right now. We have Donald Trump, who is now deciding to oust Bashar al-Assad, even though four months ago he was saying that would be stupid and foolish, we need to leave him there. So now you have a situation where we have a, a strained relationship with Russia. 
Mm-hmm. Somebody who we were supposedly going to have the best relationship ever with because, you know, they were going to be buddy-buddy friends. Turns out that we're going the other direction on that as well. Now add to that the fact that the, the Iranians don't want to play with U.S., and they certainly are not too friendly with um, with other European members. But in comes Turkey, able to negotiate the deal because they're a Muslim country too. So, no, they have a lot of power. They have a, a lot of power not only now but moving forward as whatever happens, happens. They're going to be the spearhead at designing what the region's going to look like next. Because nobody's going to trust the Russians because, well, they've been behind a, a, an ordeal to divide it up. Nobody's going to get behind the U.S. and America because they're even more guilty at dividing it all up. So when somebody has to come to the table and say, okay, now what do we do? Well, Turkey's the natural selection because now you have somebody who's part of the team that is putting it back together, but they're also part of the Muslim team, so they have that same shared faith and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's really a, a dangerous place to be. And, Doug, you mentioned that you know, there's reference that he might be the, the Islamic Antichrist. If you draw a line straight north out of Jerusalem, you don't hit Moscow. You hit Turkey. Exactly. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for that as well. And and we need to pay attention to what he's doing here in America. Turkey has built the largest mosque in the United States. Yeah. That's right. The nation of Turkey built the largest mosque in the United States. It's about 30 to 40 minutes outside D.C. In addition to that, you had General Michael Flynn recently had to register himself as a foreign agent because you've come to find out that he was actually working for Turkey. He's a foreign agent for Turkey inside the United States government. Now, this is a man who went around the, around the country telling everybody what a risk Islam is, only to find out that he is on the payroll of one of the men who is supplying and sponsoring some of the most radical Islamic terrorists in the world. It kind of makes you scratch your head and think, wait a second, who's on whose team here? And he's just one of now three Trump administration officials who have had to retroactively register as foreign agents. So there is definitely something something going on here. Uh, I got to ask you, Josh. How, how do you? And I didn't mean to no, jump in, but how do you perceive Donald Trump in this? Do you perceive Donald Trump as uh, knowing this is going to happen, adapting to situations, a little bit of both, or or what? Um, the co-opted um, or just overwhelmed? I mean, because. This is not what we bargained for in this respect with Donald Trump. No, brilliant point. It, it, and it's not. Nobody on, on the Trump team, you know, no voter of Trump could say, yes, this is the Trump we thought we were going to get. That is beyond obvious. So then some questions kind of come up. Is he just playing, you know, sly as a fox? Well, the first few weeks, a lot of people thought maybe. But then you start seeing what we're doing here. You know, we actually predicted on your show before the election, I said, now watch, he's going to get in office, and he's going to change his mind on the dreamers. He's going to change his mind on the people who are already here. He's going to let them stay. And after that show, people emailed me, no, you, Josh, you have to believe in Trump. He's going to do what he said. Well, he's changed his mind on the dreamers. And he's changed his mind on a bunch of other things, too. Uh, Julian Assange is just another example. Five months ago, he was praising Julian Assange and how he's going to use that information to defeat Hillary Clinton, and it worked. 
Now, instead of going after Hillary Clinton, because in his own words, well, she's been through enough. Really? She has? But that's what Trump said. Direct quote. So Hillary's been through enough, so instead they're going to go after Julian Assange. And this is something that we also talked about on your show. I said be very, very careful, because Trump's side and Hillary's side are both claiming to want now want to go after what's called fake news. And I said as soon as one of them gets in power, they get to define what is and what is not fake. Well, if WikiLeaks gets to be defined as fake news, and they're filing charges against him, where does that stop? Does it stop at us, if we're going to be honest? Do we have to play the Trump card, or they might get rid of us? And if that's the case, is that really the Trump you voted for? Now, I'm hopefully wrong about where I think this is going. What's already happened has happened. That I'm right about. But where this is going doesn't look too good. Because you have two camps inside the White House. You have the Kushner-Ivanka camp and their ilk. And then you have the Bannon nationalist camp and their ilk. Well, right now it looks like the nationalist American first people are losing. And the globalists are dominating. And even if you look at some of the personal positions Trump has made over the past year compared to what he's making now, it seems like a, a, a flip-flop. I mean, for goodness sakes, he said in 2018, the targets are the Freedom Caucus and the Democrats. Yep. Well, the Freedom Caucus most aligns with most of the listeners and viewers of your show. Absolutely. So that's now the target? Really? So it, it, it really leaves you scratching your head, and I get it, it's early, but he's also the guy who said, well, watch the first hundred days, we're going to get more done in the first hundred days. These are the things we're going to get done. And then two days ago, an interview comes out with him where he stresses the non-importance of the first hundred days. It's really an antiquated thing that they use to measure. It's not that big of a deal. Well, why is it not that big of a deal? Because you don't want us looking at what you did or didn't do? And now add to that Turkey. Turkey loves Trump. Turkey's praising Trump. And then Trump is also praising Turkey. Wait a second. This is a dictator who just usurped the, the Constitution, essentially. A lot of people in Turkey are questioning if the results of this, this election were even fair. And this is something that we're going to praise? Somebody who wants to rule indefinitely and limit the power of the people? Somebody who's locking up non-believers? Somebody who's locking up dissenting journalists? That's the example that the American president's going to praise? That alone is enough to raise some red flags. Hmm. Yeah, it is, Josh, and, and you bring up some good points here, specifically with Trump, what we've seen with, with his actions in Syria, the rhetoric with uh, uh, Korea. Many people are asking the question, even with the, the number of, of advisors that surround him, does Donald Trump understand foreign policy? Does he have the ability to make good foreign policy decisions? As we know, there's not a lot of room for mistakes, especially when you're dealing with wars, conflicts, and, and a whole host of other issues, uh, very important issues that could mean life or death for, for hundreds of thousands of people. And a lot of, um, you know, pundits said that this would be his Achilles heel, at least until he uh, found a way to navigate properly and, and learn who to trust when dealing with foreign policy. And as you said, the election results in Turkey, I think it was, that you said, 1.6% uh, was the, uh, I, I the margin of victory. Yeah. And leaving many people to ask, you know, you know, was this some, was there, was there fraud involved? And a lot of people will say yes, due to Drogan's control. Um, 
But, but how do you even know? I mean, right. how would you even know? And and then Trump called to congratulate him. Yeah, uh, what's that on about, the Josh? And, and I think that's a, a diplomatic move, I if I had know. to guess. Um, I don't. Yeah, I whatever. Okay, I that's really not. <laughs> I mean, Josh, does that make a difference to you that he called and congratulated the, the guy? Or uh, no, I mean, Joe's right. I mean, you're going to call anybody who's supposedly on your team and say congratulations. Putin called Trump after all. But, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point about the international stuff. Some people are starting to think, well, wait a second. Uh, Flynn also asked for immunity when it came to the Russian investigation. Is there something there? And I'm not saying there is or there isn't, but if there is, let's just travel down that road a second. If there is, how would you take the focus off of what's happening in D.C.? You would put it on what's happening someplace else. You'd have some sort of emergency military sort of situation. And some people have even floated the idea that neither Trump nor Putin want to get caught up in this, so they've agreed to play fake bad guys to each other so that both of their respective countries wouldn't pay attention to what's going on inside the country and instead look at the escalating conflict between the two. So it depends on how deep down the rabbit hole you want to go. But either way, we are in a, in a situation right now that we were supposedly not going to be in domestically and almost assuredly we weren't supposed to be in internationally because the, what happened, what's happening in the Middle East right now was the exact sort of thing he ran opposed to. He was pointing out how Hillary wants to strike Assad's airports and how that's terrible and stupid, especially now that he's getting the national security briefings. Well, wait a second. Now he wants to do it, and well, he did. So it really makes you start to ask yourself, What's going on? What's going on? And this is the same guy who said, well, wait a second, if we are ever going to strike somebody, we're going to continue to strike. We're going in to win. We're taking the oil. And I'm not saying that that's what I want. I'm just saying, well, what happened to that guy even? So it, it seems like the two people that Donald was before the election is not the same Donald that we have currently. And please understand me. I'm still rooting for him to, to do what he said he was going to do. But I remember on this show... Prior to the election, I said, regardless of who wins, one thing is guaranteed, that the government is getting bigger. Yep. Well, guess what? The government is getting bigger. Yep. So if you're a freedom-loving Bible believer, then your focus should not be on so much, is Donald really the guy who's sent by God? Your focus should be on, are you doing what you're supposed to do to answer your call to God and let God worry about the rest? Because... As we seem to be traveling down the road of time here, time seems to be running out. In, indeed it does. And uh, speaking of time running out, I don't want to miss this opportunity. Back in, uh, I think it was March 18th or thereabouts, you had uploaded a video uh, to your channel. Uh, you'd done a, a interview with uh, a whistleblower. Deceased yeah. refugees obtaining social security numbers, passport, passports, etc. Upon arriving, these people coming into the uh, night flights in the airports. Josh, I don't know if you want to um, continue. If you have any more points with respect to Turkey geopolitics, or if we can jump to that, because I really want to make sure we get into that uh, as well. And to just to reaffirm, you're. Uh, I mean, yeah. You said you said you set the internet on fire with that video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Not only the Internet, I, I set the phone lines between agencies a buzz, too. Because what, what we found is, well, it's absolutely true. We ran that interview, and we got contacted by so many. Not only contacted, we're still getting contacted. 
by so many people who are witnessing this happen in their communities or their churches or their part of it. Matter of fact, two weeks ago, I was approached by a DHS employee who said that they saw that video and said that absolutely everything that that woman said in the video is true, that it is happening. And I said, well, will you come on tape and say that? And she said, absolutely not. I would get fired or more. I said, well, we'll blur out your face. And she said, <laughs> she said that doesn't actually work anymore. We have technology that unblurs and undistorts the voice. So, no, I'm not no, coming no but she wanted us to know that it was true. No more blue dot. Remember the William Kennedy Smith rape trial back in the 90s? No more <laughs> yeah. blue dot. Doggone it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah well, okay, so, uh, oh, help us. What do we do? I mean, is there anything being done? Uh, you, well, you, here's here's where we, we kind of run into uh, another situation where, well, who's who's on whose side? Because, remember, the, the biggest... I, I guess culprit when it comes to uh, fake IDs, fake vetting in order to get into the United States was Iraq. Iraq was the number one place to get a fake ID in the Middle East if you wanted to illegally get into the United States under the legal refugee resettlement program because it was the easiest place to get fake identification and the hardest place to vet. Well, it turns out that Trump has taken away Iraq as one of the countries that we have to be concerned about, even though we know for a fact that that was one of the biggest places that the bad guys were going to get fake IDs. And part of that was because of the infrastructure we left behind when we created the vacuum and what ISIS got their hands on. So, yeah, we still have to be concerned about it, and oddly enough, it ties back into what we were talking about earlier. So this has to be something that we all need to be aware of. We all need to be at least um, vigilant about. I'm not into fear-mongering. I'm not into, well, the sky is falling. That's not it. As long as there's breath in our lungs and God's on the throne, we have hope. But we still have to be aware of what's going on around us. And that is something that we need to be aware of because so far it hasn't slowed down. And, yes, the president does know that it was happening. So that makes you ask the question, why hasn't it slowed down? Some people are saying, well, Trump's just continuing with the policy that Obama put into place because... It hasn't ran its course yet, and that might be true in part, but he has the authority to stop it, especially when we talk about the, the flights that land in the middle of the night with uh, refugees that were not vetted and are given Social Security numbers and passports. Josh, we, we only have uh, about two minutes left before the end of the segment. Uh, just a few things. One, we have a, a special show coming up. And I know we don't have time to get into it right now. I wanted to kind of talk to you about uh, what you're going through with YouTube. And uh, yeah. from the revenue to, you know, the demonetization, the the, the whole uh, censorship issue, and the number of ways that they're doing it through pulling the money, uh, you know, demonetization, and a whole host of other things. But Friday, we're going to have a roundtable discussion where you're going to be joining my father, myself, Sheila Zelinsky, um, Dave Hodges. You know, I'm going to tell you, the, Josh's information, Joe, and, and folks, uh, you know, you'd pay normally to get that information, that kind of information. He's a marketing guy. Yeah, we're having a special three-hour roundtable uh, group with media personalities discussing, um, you know, the future of the, the media, where we are, where we're going, and what's happening to the alternative media. So I guess I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll save that question until... Uh, until Friday. Um, but, you know, the refugee that uh, issue that you broke 
and you know the flying the, the refugees in under the cover of night, the possibility of them being sick and contaminated, the different organizations that are being paid. I think it was two thousand plus dollars, twenty five hundred dollars a head. They were being yeah. paid, uh, like Catholic charities you mentioned. And you know, since your report, I have not seen anything in in the news, and I've been I've been looking. Uh, to see if there's any more whistleblowers, if anybody else picked up and reported on the story that, that you broke. It's been very quiet, which is, uh, to me is troubling because I believe that there is, um, you know, back to the censorship issue. There are people who are trying to keep this on, on, you know, as quiet as possible. And I also wonder, um, you know, if anything's changed from, you know, the top down, from the White House and the, uh, executive branch, if, anything has had to be switched around to where they're doing it completely under the radar of everybody or uh, if it's still even going on. But, Josh, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, oh, thank you, guys. And we look forward to, to having you to come on on Friday for the media roundtable dis- discussion. That's going to be great. The Josh Tolley Show is where you can listen to Josh Tolley. What time? Every What morning. time? Every day, 9 to 11 Central, uh, com, and we got a new app on Apple and Google Play, too. Perfect. All right, brother. You Thank you, man. guys. God bless. See you Friday. Evangelpreneur is the book. I get that. <laughs> there you go. You have the first That's right. try. That's right. You got it. Right. We'll bring it <laughs> back after these messages. Don't go anywhere. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a thing you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke and fully self-contained for clean storage and transport because it's so efficient it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire so don't rely on gas or fuel stoves prepare your family prepare for yourself order a Minuteman rocket stove today it's going to make bad times much better folks MinutemanStove.com MinutemanStove.com need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. 
For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. Hey, welcome to this edition of the Hagman Hagman Report. Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman, something we like to call the Hagman Hagman Report. Uh, investigators in true in search of the truth, and we are in search of the truth. Nothing more. Look, we're not pro professional uh, talk show hosts. Uh, we're, we're investigators. I'm an investigator of 30 years. Um, just searching for the truth to deliver it to you. Simple as that. Uh, folks, don't forget, a week from this Friday, that's right, a week from this Friday, I believe it is, right? Because I've been working furiously on uh, some final touches on my presentation, uh, yep. two presentations actually, for Awaken to the Shaken, courtroom-ready exhibits for two topics, the larger aspect of Pedagate, which is just, uh, when I went through the, the material I've got, uh, folks, understand, this is true. Okay, all of it is true. You've got to understand. And maybe, anyone, um, anyone who says it's not is not, or is uh, not being truthful. And maybe if uh, the higher-ups ever uh, are taken to court, they could use your presentation as evidence. Actually, yeah, um, the... the uh, Trust me when I tell you that, that uh, the documentation that has been assembled will be in the hands of uh, the people who are in, should be in charge of executing the uh, the investigation. Now, having said that, and much of it is already, but uh, this is just a lay down type of a type of a report. Uh, Wake into the shaken. So, if you haven't registered. That's May 5th and 6th in Gurney, Illinois, just north of Chicago. Uh, please do so. And the other part of that uh, presentation is going to be the Islamic infiltration and the Muslim training uh, paramilitary training across the United States, which, which, which exists in this country. I've got photographs, of course, and uh, 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 I've got evidence to show you, to show you. So if you – but I'm going to uh, uh, show you at the conference. That's Gurney, Illinois. May 5th and 6th, just north of Chicago. If you're within a day's drive, I'd highly recommend it. Register and come on down. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back for the tickets for the registration. You like how I said that? Okay, it's free. It's free. Go to paulbagleyprophecy.com or go to hagmanreport.com and click on the link to Awaken to the Shaken. We really hope to see you there. Really, really do. Um, I know we put we put in hours upon hours. And I was talking to Russ Dizdar uh, last week and the weekend, and he's Believe me when I tell you, it's going to be just seeing Russ is going to be worth it. Also, ready-made resources, folks. Ready-made resources, the, the place to go if you need night vision equipment, 
Oh, they've got the best of the best. If you need communications, because, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't think that we're going to, if you don't think we're in for rough times, you're not paying attention. The place to go, ready-made resources. The alternative energy, they've got, uh, uh, again, uh, uh, night vision. And if you don't have night vision, you're going to be at a severe disadvantage. Uh, communications, alternative communications in terms of like walkie-talkie type things, but not the kind you buy in Walmart. And, uh, food, long-term storable food, they've got it all. Bob Griswold is the guy. And we believe in this company, 100% ReadyMadeResources.com. That's ReadyMadeResources.com. One more time, ReadyMadeResources.com, and let them know. You heard this them on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you. Yeah, we got a, a fantastic guest this hour. We are joined by Pastor Greg Hammond, and we're going to get into a number of, of important issues today. Uh, Mr. Hammond, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report. I want to bring you on and, and let you introduce yourself to the audience and tell them a little about a little bit about yourself and about your ministry, and then we will get rocking and rolling with the interview. All right, sounds good. Well, just a little bit about myself. Um, I was a school teacher, high school teacher, for 17 years before I switched careers and went into ministry. And uh, I went into campus ministry working with college students, which is a ripe age. You know, they're very uh, impressionable and, you know, they're, they're for the first time away from home and, and, and thinking through things themselves instead of just going along with what their parents have said. So, you know, there's they get on the university campus and anything can happen to them spiritually and otherwise. And so, you know, felt led to go there and um, I've been ministering there for like 18 or 19 years now. Uh, in the process of that, I helped plant the church that I'm now pastoring. But I've always had, um, you know, most of my life, and it's because I've got into a couple situations over the years where, you know, I saw a new age type of uh, teachings coming into the church and skewing the truth and have locked horns with people over the years. And um, and so I just really have a heart for just, you know, like you guys are being a watchman and, and uh, uh, you know, trying to, to protect the church and, and God's truth from uh, Satan's lie. So I've been doing this for a long time. I, I started uh, Be Alert Ministry, which is uh, kind of a side thing for me, um, probably about three, four years ago when my first book came out, Mystic Seduction, which is about, you know, the uh, church being seduced by pagan religion, basically. You know, and you look in the Old Testament how God um, likened uh, the, when the Israelites chased after the Canaanite gods, uh, you know, there's like, you know, prostitution. And so... Uh, that's why I named it Mystic Seduction. The church is being seduced. And, and so that book was about protecting the church. And then I wrote the second book that I wrote, A Global Utopia, which is kind of what we're going to be touching on tonight, uh, some of the things from it. And that came primarily out of the fact that when my first book came out, you know, I think people were kind of still having trouble grasping some of these ideas. Uh, the church is in a lot of ways, I'm afraid, sort of asleep on this stuff. But anyway, so I wanted to, to kind of frame what was going on in the church as what's, with what's going on in, in a larger spectrum, you know, in the world as far as uh, the move towards a one-world government and one-world religion. So I tried to talk about different things going on in the world and, and, and help to frame that with the spiritual part of it, which I think is the most critical part, obviously. Interesting. And I, I like the the view I, I I like what you're doing here you what you're what you're doing is uh, kind of giving us the bigger picture 
view, assessment, battle assessment, triaging what's going on. So we're big picture kind of guys, at least I am. Yeah. And, and so, so you can see, and, and you know, when you get right down to it, this is a battle between good and evil. This is a larger battle that we're involved in, and a lot of people tend to right. just, you know, think microcosmically, if you will, and mm-hmm. see only what's in front of them. So the good stuff, okay. Um, so having said that, how do, how do we lay this out? I mean, how would you lay this out with, 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 with all the things that are going on? Where do you want to start, I guess, is the question, um, to, well, to describe what you said. Sure, yeah. Well, well, I named the book Global Utopia because, obviously, I think the whole one-world government thing is, is man's desire for utopia, you know, the, the perfect place to live. And, of course, you know, utopia really means no place because or nowhere because that's impossible for us to achieve uh, in the world the way it is. But I think the idea of utopia really... It, it comes from the Garden of Eden. You know, when, when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, he put the perfect people in the perfect world. Everything was perfect. But, of course, we know the fall took place, and now man is living in an imperfect world, yet I think he still has, you know, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says man has eternity in, in his heart. God said that there. And so I know man knows that he was made for the perfect place to live, but he no longer lives there. Now, the problem is, is that we know as believers in Jesus Christ that there's going to be a utopia one of these days. It's called Christ's millennial reign. And where he, when he returns, he's going to reestablish everything the way it originally was. We are going to live in that perfect world, but for, um, unregenerate man, uh, he still desires utopia. So now he's trying to achieve it on his own terms. And so what we're, what we get is, is a mess basically. And all the things that, that, you know, that my book really talks about. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's an impossible task for man, but I think what this one world government is pushing towards is trying to establish, a, you know, a heaven on earth from man's perspective. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just not going to happen. Now, you're exactly right. And my goodness, the number of ways that the utopia is, uh, you know, one thing that when you just said that, one thing that, um, came to my mind and it's an obscure reference was uh, a clip of Walter Cronkite and he's getting an award with Hillary Clinton's there talking and then he comes up and he's given an award and he talks about the um, New World Order and he he mentions Pat Robertson he says uh, you know Pat Robertson says any attempt to bring about a New World Order or One World Government uh, before the the millennial reign is the work of Satan, so join me as I sit uh, at the right hand of, of Satan or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he laughs about it. And, and you're mm-hmm. exactly right. You know all the things that we see going on. Uh, you know with CERN, um, with this you know uh, push to globalize the world to bring in a one world religious political and economic system. Well, Joe, Joe, if I can just interject this, because sure. Greg does, uh, and folks, his book, Global Utopia, is available on Amazon, and he, the, the subtitle is 12 Features of the New World Order. Maybe all the features, all the things that you're saying, Greg, I mean, I'm sure you address those, or at least at the periphery, Um Encompassing all, everything that's going going on, right? Um, in your yeah. book, okay. Yeah, I, I try. I try to. You know, I mean, there, there's probably more than twelve features. You right. know, yeah. you break down. It'd be you know, 
thousands of them probably, but I tried to simplify it and have the 12 basic things that I saw, you know, were necessary for things to be in place. And I think you see things happening in the world in all those areas that are moving us that direction. Okay. All right. So having said that, um, you want to you want to kind of give us insight into the twelve features as they apply to what you're seeing today, or you want to take today and apply it to what you've written about in Global Utopia, or you want to take a, a different tack altogether. Well, I, what I kind of wanted to do, you know, like I said, I wanted to make the the spiritual part of it the the because I think you know that's really the big issue. You know, when you think about you know, you're reading Revelation about this you know coming one world government of the Antichrist, and and you know he's going to have a government. Similar to, you know, probably any dictatorship you could talk about in the past, in the 20th century is going to be very similar to that. But, you know, he's going to have people helping him. He's going to have his minister of defense and, and, and all these different positions. But what's interesting in the book of Revelation is the only advisor or minister that's really talked about that's going to be helping him is the false prophet who is going to be the, the head of the one world government. And so what that tells me at least is that the religious aspect, the spiritual aspect is the big issue. And when you look at historically, and I think it would make sense, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of things that cause bloodshed and wars over the course of history, but religious differences are some of the biggest. I mean, you, you can talk about the crusades, you can talk about the Hindu, uh, Muslim, problems in the Indian subcontinent, which has, you know, resulted in Pakistan, Bangladesh, and India, three separate nations, or Northern Ireland, or the the Jewish uh, Arab problems in the Middle East. So, you know, those are huge problems, and those are things, you know, values that people hold, their internal values that, uh, you know, you can try to modify the way people act and think on the outside, but you on the inside, it's hard to change their thinking. And so, what I see here is unless something happens to modify people's spiritual thinking, to bring them in line with one another, whether you're Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, or whatever, bring yourselves all in line to an agreement where not only are you just agreeing to peacefully coexist, because that's kind of an external thing, but actually internally agree that you're all spiritually the same, you're going to have potential for problems and bloodshed just like you've, we've always had. And so, you know, I see this as, the, as, a, as a huge issue, and obviously it's the spiritual issue is an issue anyway because, you know, that's dealing with the eternal destiny of, of man. And so uh, that's kind of, you know, the main thing that I was really wanting to touch on tonight. Okay. And that, that's at the core. I mean, that's yeah, really at the yeah. epicenter of everything. And, and we were lied to, uh, Mr. Hammond, uh, uh, sir, uh, we were lied to that we all worship the same God. Muslims, Jews, Christians, mm. we don't all worship the same God. No. So, no. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and you know, and, and talking about this, you know, like I say, with, with the whole world peace thing, I mean, you know, the, 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 the peace is, is critical. I mean, everybody wants peace and we, the, the world has to do something in order to get peace for this one good world government to come together. And uh, and I think you know once again, like I say, the uh, the uh, issue of the spiritual is is at the at the, the core, the key. And um, um, what I see, you know, when I look at at the the spiritual groundwork or whatever of the world, 
you know, I see, you know, all these different religions that are contradicting one another. And the question is, is how can all these religions, you know, come together and, and, and be one? And what I see, and, you know, different people could, could disagree, but I, I think, uh, when you look, and you have to actually go all the way back to the fall in the Garden of Eden, and actually it precedes that. When you, you have to go back to the first actual act of sin in all of creation, which we know was when Satan rebelled against God Almighty and tried to usurp his authority and, and take God's place. And of course, we know that the, the Bible tells us he was cast out of hell along with, uh, I mean, out of heaven with um, roughly one third of the angels who followed him. And so, the first sin or act against God was this idea of usurping God or taking God's place. Well, Satan winds up in the Garden of Eden and he attempts Adam and Eve. And of course, what does he tempt them with? Well, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will become like God. And so the first sin of man is this idea of trying to become like God. And so what I see as the ultimate goal spiritually of this one world government is for man to be viewed as God. And, um, and as you, as you jump ahead to the end times, you know, we know that the, the, the temple in Jerusalem, the third temple is going to be rebuilt one day because we know that, uh, the abomination of desolation, you know, the image of the Antichrist is going to be set up in there and, and, and it's going to be the image of a man worshiped as God. And so things have to be happening. The people of the world spiritually have to be indoctrinated in some way in order to accept the fact that a man can be God. And I think that the, the, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to accept that, that they're God as well. And, and I think really where we're heading is that the idea that everything that is is God, which is, is basically Hinduism or the New Age movement, that everything that is is God. And, you know, what they call that is... You know, there's really two spiritual views of, of, of creation. You know, one is, uh, uh, you know, the idea of dualism. In other words, there's a God, a creator who's separate from his creation, who's always existed. He's never not existed. And, uh, he called creation into being. Creation's not eternal. It owes its existence to the creator, but they're totally separate. Then you have this other view, you know, paganism, basically, where they're one and the same, where creation is God. And that's Hinduism. And I believe that's where we're ultimately heading. And if you look at things that are going on, what the UN's promoting and, and some of the other stuff, I think, you know, that's where we're heading. I think that's why it's going to be possible for, you know, the Antichrist to be worshipped as God. So, so and, and I, well, I see transhumanism playing a role in this. Yeah. You're looking at apotheosis, right? Uh, which is the, um, elevation of, of people to divine status across the board. Right. And, right. And so, uh, some of this, and I believe this to be true, some of this is to, in my view, to, uh, avoid judgment, you know, the eternal law, live sure. forever and avoid judgment. Sure. But anyway, but so, so but okay, so back to your your premise, and, and I and I agree with you. They're going to have to outlaw, dilute, or pervert much more than they already have the mono mm. the, the major monotheistic religions, that being Christianity, Judaism, and uh, mm. Islam. Yeah, yeah, those those have to go. And and here's what's going I think is going to happen. And once again, you know, different people have different opinions, but if you look at most of the major religions of the world. 
you know, I mean, Hinduism, Buddhism, what you know, talk about, you know, they're, they're, they're pagan religions, which don't have a problem with, you know, they have a problem with a lot of things, you know, very syncretistic thinking, you know, and, um, um, you know, contradictions don't really mean anything. But you, when you look at Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, the theistic religions, they present a huge problem for the one world government. And that's because in all three cases, they view the creator as separate from the creation. Even though, as we know, the creator in Islam is not the same as the creator in Christianity. That's, but they have that, that basic concept. So until everybody agrees that man is divine and all creation is divine. See, this is what's behind, you know, everything, you know, what do you want to talk about the, Greenpeace or the Sierra, you know, all these, the uh, ecology movement, you know, that, um, you know, you can't, animal rights activists, you know, everything has equal value because everything's divine. But what has to happen is those three religions have to either be modified or, or destroyed. And I think that what we see in the world going on today is a modification. And, and, uh, I call it capturing the, these religions. The, the, the false prophets religions wants to capture them by making them like theirs. You know, uh, you know, these points that are contradictory just to erase them or just ignore them or whatever you want to do. But basically, you know, to, to capture them and make them like, like paganism. And so, you know, that's what I see going on. And if you look in all three of those religions, and, and, and in my first book, Mystic Seduction, my premise was is was that mysticism and mystical thinking, transcendental meditation, all those types of things are the key to get people to understand and believe that they are God and everything is divine. And so what we see is we know that there's a Christian mysticism that's on the rise today. I mean, it, you know, and, and it's really Gnosticism from the first and second century reborn. It, it never really went away, but... Um, but but interestingly, you also see uh, this mysticism in Judaism. It's called Kabbalah, and uh, you know it's a mystic view of, of creation. And and likewise, you see it in Islam. It's Sufism. And and interestingly, when you look at what each of those three mystical traditions believe, they're like eerily the same. They almost you can almost like superimpose them over one another, and they're they're virtually identical. And and what they basically teach. Is is that reality? I mean, this, this is Hinduism. Is that reality has shattered into thousands of pieces, just like if you took a bottle or a jar and smashed it on the floor. And so, what has to happen in order for everything to come back together is all these pieces or shards have to join back together into the the one that is God. Everything's God, and and. The method of doing this is mystical practices, you know, for the realization, you know, that, that you're God. That's why, you know, transcendental meditation, it's the idea of I can discover through various mystical practices that, well, I'm, I'm divine and therefore right. I'm okay. <laughs> Yeah, and you can you can throw yoga in there. You can throw uh, sure. and even the uh, you know use of uh, uh, psychotropic drugs. Um, mm-hmm. is, is, yeah. So okay, but yeah, what, the, the mechanics. Beatles, of the Beatles did that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And, and isn't it funny that that uh, not funny, but uh, interesting that all, all of the um, back in the '60s, uh, where the Beatles and the Monkeys and all the groups really had their origins in Laurel Canyon, Lookout Mountain, CIA kind of 
you know, operations, military, industrial complex. But but how do you see the mechanics of this playing out? I mean, uh, uh, how, how do you yeah. do that? Is there an event, a series of events aside from the softening? Yeah. You know, is there going to be something that something else? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, first of all, you mean, you know, hardline doctrine of any belief has got to got to be jettisoned. You know, I mean, and and what needs to be promoted is syncretistic relative thinking. And um, and first of all, you know, the younger generations are definitely kind of there, you know, postmodern thinking, you know, that there's no absolute truth at all. Everything's relative. And and so if you can adjust your thinking to that, you know, then, you know, being presented with, with hard facts really means nothing because you can just dismiss it and go on your, your merry way. But... Um, <clears throat> But I see this infiltrating, you know, like with Christianity, it's infiltrating in, into the church. Um, uh, just these these concepts, these ideas. I mean, and you, you, we can see, you know, like you know, the stances that uh, a lot of your denominations are taking on the transgender, homosexual, you know, issues or uh, biblical authority, the Bible. I, you know, I've written a smaller book, you know. Called emergency, emerging apostasy, which is about deconstructing truth, certainty, and biblical authority. Um, and so they're just reinterpreting scripture however they want it, and the parts they don't like, they ignore, and, and uh, they, they twist it around and, and make it say what, what they want to say. Uh, I mean, yeah. um, and, and just to give you a, a quick example, you know, it's like, I don't know how, what you guys are familiar with the merged village, but, uh, like pastors, you know, like like Rob Bell, I think is is part of that. But like they came out of the emerging church movement. But basically, you know, they're they're very postmodern in their thinking. In fact, when they those guys got together, and I think there's one one lady there, but uh, you know, they they're they're guiding force in in rethinking about what Christianity really was. What was a uh, Jacques Derrida, you know, who's a you know kind of the father of postmodernism in a way. And so when you you think about okay someone who's a Christian who's trying to basically rewrite Christianity and that's their guiding force you see what you're going to get. No, you're absolutely right, um, folks. Uh, our guest uh, this hour is Pastor Greg Hammond, and we're talking about a, a number of issues pertaining to the New World Order. But you know we've talked in the show a lot about um, the one world religion the one world monetary system the, the one world society uh and the different facets they are going to use to bring it about and one of the most important at least for our listeners is how they are infiltrating the church how they are bringing about a one world faith a one world religious movement and how what that will look like as they bring it about and how it will look like when it is in place and what does that mean for each and every Bible-believing Christian who will not waver in their faith in order to, uh, you know, become part of this global society, who will not uh, give up or turn away from the Lord in order to conform to the world. And we're going to continue to get into some of the more important spiritual aspects after these uh, short messages. Folks, again, we're talking with Pastor Gary Hammond. And when we come back, we're going to continue to get into these um, in detail. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these short messages. Stay with us.
Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. There shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric's. Uh, it's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Chang Post in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to 18 major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We're offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Army's kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues. And so can you. Check out our American Heritage Army's kit at www.changehostwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. You can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. Visit. He's a very prolific author. If you go to his Amazon page, Greg Hammond on Amazon, just do a search or you'll find it. Or it's go to HagmanReport.com. The program description linked directly to that as works. Uh, again, a very prolific author. Before we get back to Mr. Hammond, TradingPostInTheWoods.com. TradingPostInTheWoods.com. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, American Heritage Remedies Kit. Man, I every day that goes by, I'm a bigger, bigger believer in this kit. In all of the products at Trading Post in the woods, if you are, and let me tell you something, if you're without a pharmacy nearby or without a doctor or a nurse, 
uh, or even if you have one nearby, I don't care. This stuff is the homeopathic um, tinctures and such that they've got. They work. Go to tradingpostinthewoods.com. Again, tradingpostinthewoods.com. Tradingpostinthewoods.com. You've got to get get this as an addition to your pantry. Preps, unbelievable. Tradingpostinthewoods.com. And by the way, um, mention HagmanReport.com in the, the checkout, and feel free to contact them. They'll answer any question you have. But uh, for, from sinus problems to headaches to pain, to, you name it, TradingPostInTheWoods.com. That's TradingPostInTheWoods.com. Our guest uh, this hour is Pastor Greg Hammond, and his website is BeAlertMinistry.com, which is under construction at the moment. Um, but write it down, save it, and bookmark it. Uh, and there, there's a wealth of information there. Greg, uh, as you said, he's a pr- prolific author. The books and everything are there. Um, let's get right into this. The indoctrination of a society. This nation. And spiritual evolution, too. Yep. Yeah. Our nation, uh, with the, you know, uh, increases of technology, whether it be press, radio, TV, uh, film, the internet, there's a, a wealth of knowledge out there. And at the same time, um, many people still identify as Christians. And we, we've seen this, uh, this move in, in the last few uh, generations for people to become more tech friendly, more tech savvy. And we've, as we've seen the information explode, we've seen a number of, of different possibilities and theories thrown out there. We don't have to get into all of them. One that people talk about a lot is the ancient alien, uh, show that's on TV where they take all the biblical principles and remove God from the equation and add Aliens, as though there are gods. Uh, let's get into how uh, children are being indoctrinated uh, to or for this new utopian society that they want to roll out, this new world order. Okay, yeah, well, you know, you know, first of all, it's interesting. You made the comment about aliens. I think what that shows you, because you know, that's you think about that, she's like, that's a ludicrous. How could somebody believe that? But you know, it shows just how wily the enemy is and he does not care what a person believes no matter how believable it is or how outlandish it is as long as they're not believing the truth then he's fine but you know so that's that's amazing but what's going on i think you know is uh the enemy there's this concept of spiritual evolution and i think you know this it, you know this idea that that man is evolving into a higher form and basically moving towards god and of course you know um, you know, in the new age thinking Hinduism, you know, you, you're going to get countless chances because you're going to keep coming back because you never go away because you're God and everything's God. But, but this process is going on and, and, and it's slow. And I think the reason why it's, it's kind of like the frog in the pan analogy, you know, where you, you put a pot of water on the stove and throw the frog in it and turn the heat up and he keeps adjusting his body to the rising temperatures until he scalds himself to death. And that's kind of what is going on spiritually. And the reason why I think that's happening is because if the enemy makes a, a, a change that's too abrupt, it'll shock people and they'll react to that. But if you just slowly add a little bit of time, you know, a little leavening, leavens the whole lump, you know, as the Bible says, then, you know, they can be, you know, deceived and, and led away. And I think basically, you know, a key element to that is, is indoctrinating or educating people especially children. I think, you know, children and teenagers are very susceptible to postmodern thinking. 
And and I think when I see, you know, um, uh, one of the the keys to this is 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 education. And and when we talk about a one world government, you know, the, they're driving towards a, a uniform global education educational system that'll teach their ethics and their values. And uh, who we see pushing this, of course, is the United Nations. And uh, you know, if you go back, and he's since deceased, but uh, Robert Mueller, who was the former Assistant Secretary General of the UN, uh, really pushed for this, this which is now becoming a reality, this this worldwide educational system. But what people don't understand about him is he was a student of the occult. He was his mentor was the occultist Alice Bailey, and um, Anybody that's read anything about Alice Bailey she knows that uh, she channeled a spirit a guide, uh, an avatar, whatever you want to call it. I call them demons, but um, that would identified himself as the Tibetan over a 30-year period. And uh, this Tibetan spirit guide, his message to her, he told her a lot over a 30-year span of time. But one of the things he told her was there would be a group of world servers or world leaders whose goal was to unite the world and basically bring the Antichrist to power. And uh, and he told Bailey, who then, you know, Mueller learned this from her, was that one of the key elements that would, that you know, they would, through whom they, how they would gain control was through the world's education system and that that education system should work hand-in-hand with the media. And, of course, and then we're talking years ago, and, you know, you look now at the Internet and all the ways that we can gain knowledge quickly, and just you understand what Daniel meant when he said back in, you know, at the end of the book of Daniel, the knowledge would increase, because it really is. But um, but anyway, and so the Tibetan was teaching her, too, you know, that the coming Christ, and he wasn't talking about Jesus Christ, he was talking about the Christ consciousness of the New Age movement, or a Christ, because they believe that anybody can actually become a Christ. But this coming Christ would teach that all religions were really one. And so my point here is that this world educational system disguises itself as trying to help kids to learn better, to be better global citizens and take part in what's going on around the world. But its main goal is to promote a uniform global ethic. And uh, and it's going to promote a new version of Christianity. And Mueller, his his system that he introduced into the, the United Nations was known as the World Core Curriculum. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but it's been adopted in most nations around the world as the basis for their educational systems. And here in the United States, it's known as Common Core. You've probably heard of that. Absolutely. And, yep. Yeah. And so... And, and the, this started back in the, the, the George Bush Sr. and Bill Clinton administration started this or this uh, educational system. It was started out being called America 2000, and then it was changed, I think. Um, I'm not sure which administration changed the name to Goals 2000. Now they changed it to Common Core, and they're probably going to change it to something else because what happens is when people get onto what they're really doing, they change the name to try to throw them off the trail. But, but what it does... And I'm going to get to how this relates to the spiritual things. What it does is it teaches the kids through various ways. It teaches them not only what to think, but how to think. And, and, and when you look at, you know, when you get into things like philosophy and, 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 and stuff, you know, that what they're teaching is relativism. There's really no right or wrong act, uh, 
answers to anything, does this in a clandestine way, and the main goal is to employ this, this relativistic thinking to spiritual truth. And, and, and that's where their aim is because they realize that there has to be a one world religion or the whole thing's going to fall apart. And so they're indoctrinating kids without even realizing it to think a certain way and to think about things in a certain way and then apply that to spiritual truth. And what's I'll, stop there. I'll stop there because I can, I can keep, keep going. So. And, and you know what's really interesting is, and, and scary is not only your, the, the curriculum that they're indoctrinating children with in the public schools, but what the, the government is now doing to, uh, people who homeschool, uh, mm-hmm. you know, through the vaccines, through even curriculum, they are, you know, uh, saying that, that parents are, are basically abusing their children by not teaching them the curriculum that the school uh, right. demands that they teach. And then taking it a step further in many schools and over, you know, the last decade, we've seen, um, the Bible, the word Jesus and prayer be completely removed from school and after school. Even prayer, prayers during the football games for the, the school teams are being removed. Yet at right. the same time, they are allowing, uh, you know, this perverted um, other message to get through. You know, they got to teach the LGBTQ tolerance. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, one right. of the, the recent ones was uh, queer therapy for right. kindergartners. And they're yeah. allowing, in certain schools, uh, with, with a lot of these refugees to ha- uh, bring Muslim prayer into school and they're actually right. preaching or teaching, um, you know, acceptance of Islam, uh, the religion in schools. It's completely hypocritical and, 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 uh, just absolutely, uh, completely damaging to the children when, right. especially when they're, you know, saying you can't teach about religion except, you know, this religion, uh, which right. is not the religion of our country. And, you know, those are just a few things that we see in the schools that are ongoing. And there's a push, right. you know, in, in society, uh, you know, to get, to remove Jesus and, and any morality, uh, away, uh, under the guise of, of, you know, political correctness, if that makes any sense. Right. Right. Well, and let me just read, I got a quote here. This is from Mary Jo Anderson's article. It's, Entitled Common Core Goes Global. You know, she hits the nail on the head, but this, this is what she said about it. She said, a similar sentiment permeates other Common Core aligned texts. Concepts found in grade school children's textbooks, such as justice and equality, are given politically biased meanings. Justice is newly defined to mean the redistri- redistribution of wealth and resources. Equality is used to dismantle preference for one's own culture, religion, and social customs. And she hits nail right on the hip because what they're doing is they're redefining words. <laughs> yep. And, and, you know, and, and, and making them mean something other than what they're, they really mean. And what they're doing is making them mean what they want it to mean so that it works for them. And, you know, and then when you get into, you're talking about, you know, Christianity and what's going on there. I mean, this is exactly what's happening with the Bible. And that's why I wrote that little book, Emerging Apostasy, is because it's that's what people are doing with the Bible. They're they're giving words new meanings and twisting the words and and messing with the sentence structure, you know, so that the rules of interpretation are totally changed. And what and, and where they're at is they've gone from a historical grammatical interpretation of documents, which is what people have historically used to 
when you read something, you say, I understand what that means because you're using that method of interpretation. They've gone to what's known as a reader response interpretation, and that is I read it, whatever it emotionally and experientially means to me in the moment that I read it, that's what it means. And if I read it tomorrow and I get some different idea, then that's what it means tomorrow, even if it contradicts what I believed the day before. So yeah. it's scary. <laughs> no, it is scary, and and it's a complete, uh, you know, as far as the educational system, uh, it's a complete indoctrination school, a prison uh, for the children in their minds. It's not an educational system in the sense that they teach you uh, things that you need to know. They teach you things that they want you to know in the way that they want you to know them so you best conform and adapt to their system when right. the time comes. It's about obedience, yeah. not about knowledge. And, right. And it's been like that for, for, for generations. I mean, even since I was in school. Um, mm-hmm. and this is, is a push towards the, you know, uh, the globalist society. Now, yes. um, in the time we have left, let's continue to go through some of these, okay. these steps. I mean, the, the church, we could talk about the church and their indoctrination into the new world order all day long. The mm-hmm. Christians are in, in, in an apostasy, if you will, because, uh, right. we've stopped reading the Bible and taking the Bible and studying it for ourselves. And we've left that and delegated that for a pastor. And we right. take what the pastor says, um, and use that for our spiritual nourishment where we don't need a middleman. Uh, at, but that's a whole nother issue. The, the church as a whole, the bodies of church. I was a, a member of a Presbyterian church. And I had to leave the church because they decided to accept homosexual marriage uh, mm-hmm. as being okay and, and allowing homosexual clergy in. And now we see this, um, you know, this, this push to, uh, Rome is pushing to, you know, kind of get, get back with the, the Protestant churches in this country. Right. Do you believe that, that, um, that the Vatican, the Catholicism, that there will be this ecumenicalism, even with other faiths? to bring about a one-world religious system? Well, yeah, I definitely uh, believe that, you know, and that's why, I mean, if you go clear back to Vatican II, you know, when that hit, you know, that was the, to open religious dialogue with the Catholic Church and other other religions, and, and it had a huge impact even on Protestant churches, you know, and I think that... Um, and I think, you know, as you've seen, you know, you go into the late 60s, you know, that whole decade was very, you know, it's a cultural revolution in a lot of ways. But um, you started seeing these Protestant denominations that had been historically solid, you know, that began to fall victim to New Age, you know, ideas of, you know, all paths lead to God and, and we need to just all work together and get together. and and. So I think, you know, there's a, Protestants are, are falling to this too. And, and once again, it's, it's, you know, partly that people don't know their Bible and, and, or they don't revere the Bible as God's word like they should. But nonetheless, they're, they're allowing themselves to fall captive. And so, you know, what I see is, you know, the, the, the church as a whole is, is falling away, you know, and, and believers, individual believers are going to have to stand firm for the truth. Because I think you know, there is an ecumenical movement going on, and it's not just between so-called Christian, you know, denominations, but it's with non-Christian denominations. I know in, in talking to uh, John on the on the phone a few days ago, you know, he's talking about you know you've been talking a lot about Chrislam, you know, and I think 
that's a perfect example. You know, how can two diametrically opposed belief systems come together? Well, the only way it can is because people don't hold the word of God uh, or don't interpret it the, the way it should be and or just don't know it. Um, but it, and they, they have to be employing syncretistic thinking, you know, this idea that contradictions aren't a big issue. So, I, you know, it's it's amazingly it's it's happening, and I think it's happening quicker and quicker. Uh, what would you, if anything, what would it take for the majority of congregants to leave the mainstream Christian religion in America, specifically if it's not specifically to those, you know, denominational churches that are not bringing spiritual nourishment? Or do you think that these people who, uh, you know, are well-meaning, well-intended, uh, do believe in God, will go along with what the church tells them to do, whether there's a calamity that brings us to this, you know, one world system mm-hmm. or, um, you know, some other unforeseen event, uh, ushers us in, you know, to where, to a point where the churches are saying, you know, uh, come be part of this system. It's okay. Even to the point where they may, maybe they're promoting the work of the beast, we'll say, um, mm-hmm. How do you see that unfolding? Do you see the people, uh, I mean, we know that there, there's going to be a great deception. We know that mm-hmm. it says for if it were possible, even the very elect could be deceived. Um, mm-hmm. how do you see this playing out with, with, between the churches and the congregations? Well, I, you know, I mean, that, that's really hard to say, you know, but I think, you know, we're in a way, we're probably already seeing this, you know, that, that congregations, uh, you know, they, you know, especially like your, your, your larger denominations, they have their yearly meetings and almost always, you know, so some of these issues on homosexuality or whatever you want to talk about, you know, will, will come up and they have a vote and sometimes they get voted down and sometimes they don't. But I think basically as, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you know, we, we probably need to understand that it's, it's, it's not going to get easier and, uh, that, uh, God's truth is truth, and yeah, the easy road would just be say, well, okay, I'll, I'll go along with that. I don't really believe it, but I'm going to go ahead and stay in my church. You know, well, my view is that if I'm going to stay in any church that's doing something like that, I'm going to be very active in fighting it tooth and nail because I think God's going to ask me one of these days why I stayed there, and if I've got a good reason for staying there to stand for his truth, then okay, but if not, you know, then it's time to shake the dust off of your feet and, and move on. And, uh, and I think really, unfortunately, especially for the Western world and Americans in particular, we like our comfort. And so that's going to be a big issue, you know. But I think, you know, as believers, we need to dig in our heels and fight tooth and nail, you know, and, and because we know and ultimately we win. It may look like we're losing, but God's going to evaluate each one of us based upon what we did. And, and, uh, and so I think, you know, but yeah, I, I think, you know, that the people who stand firm for the truth are probably going to be ostracized and, and isolated. But, uh, is, is this going to be deal. connected to the economy as well? The, uh, economic system? The, well, I, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I definitely think it is. I mean, you know, to me, you know, when you look the whole, Mark of the Beast thing, you know, and you read in Revelation the way things, you know, worked in, in ancient times, you know, I think, you know, it's to be active in the, the economic 
system of the the new world order, you're going to have to have the mark of the beast, and if you don't, you're going to be excluded. I think that's going to be a weapon. Yeah. Do, do, do you think the um, Antichrist and or the false prophet uh, are alive today? Well, you know that's that's hard to say. You know, I mean, you know, God knows that, but I, you know, you know, God, we know what God's time frame is, and and uh, I mean, we don't know. God knows it, so. I think it's quite possible, you know, um, but definitely, whether he is yet or not, definitely things are moving in a direction to where things are going to be in place when he does show up on the scene. But, you know, I would almost have to say maybe he is, simply because I things are speeding up, you know, uh, I think towards that. What's the most important um as you look out over the landscape of the news, the news headlines, the geopolitics, the domestic events, what do you think is the most uh, important news item today, or series of news items, or where do you where do you place your your visual uh, analysis at right now? What's got what's got your attention? I guess is the better way of saying it. That's yeah, well, yeah, that's you know that's a good that's a good question. I mean, because there's so many things going on, but I would have to say probably it's it's more. I always tend to look at the spiritual lay lay of the of the, the land, and simply because I think you know that's eternal. You know, that's where the rubber meets the road, and and all the other things that we're gonna you know that are gonna happen with the one world government are gonna be a spinoff. Of that, so I would have to say anything that goes on that is a move towards, uh, you know, an ecumenical, ecumenical type movement, bringing all the faiths together. And, and I've, you know, studied a lot on that, you know, whether you want to talk about Pope Francis and some of the things he's recently talked about and various world leaders and, and, um, you know, various, you know, Christian leaders and some of the things they're talking about. Those are the kinds of things that I really zone in on. I mean, the things like in the Middle East with with ISIS, I mean, that's obviously an issue, and I actually see that as, as something that, you know, I could see the world banding together to deal with those guys, and in what looks like a, a, a good solution could it might have to be a, a, an even worse solution, worse situation in the end. But but that's what I kind of focus on more is the spiritual things. Gotcha. All right, now, now this is a question that I'm interested in here. You've got a. a, a Amazon, your Amazon page, you've got uh, six books listed mm-hmm. under your name. Somebody new to your work, what order do you, do you recommend? The, from Emerging Apostasy to Mystic Seduction, the Global Utopia, um, to, to yeah. delve into your work. Give us a yeah. kind of an order. Well, you know, I, like I say, I wrote Mystic Seduction first because that was my main area. But it's, you know, I have to say, and I try to write it so that people would understand, because it's not an easy topic to really delve into. It can be kind of twist your mind around quite a bit. But uh, but it still is probably kind of a hard read. I think a global utopia is, is, a, is a pretty easy read. I think probably more people would be interested in reading that. And probably if they read that and saw the spiritual implications, you know, the things I've talked about with Robert Mueller and what he's, you know, the spiritual things that he's been promoting, that that might spawn them to say, okay, I want to look more into the, to the spiritual thing and then maybe dive into mystic seduction or emerging apostasy. Emerging apostasy, though, I think it's a short book, and I think people in the church need to read that to understand exactly how the word's being skewed and just kind of hold their pastors accountable because you know I think the church is is slipping because 
you know, a lot of times pastors are actually promoting this mystical stuff and, and, uh, you know, and, and they need to be called out on it. And, um, and people just aren't doing that because a lot of times they're just, they're unaware. You're absolutely, absolutely right. We got about a minute and a half before the break, okay. Greg. Uh, I've heard, I think Julian Assange said that, uh, if wars can be started by lies, then peace can be brought about through truth. Yeah, and I see here that you talk about the uh, the need for world peace, a prerequisite for a one world society. Uh, do you think that we would need a a some type of catastrophic um, attack or calamity to happen before that would usher us into a, a one world society, or do you think they could do it through a, a false truth like aliens or uh, you know some existential threat that that we would never see? Uh, that could bring yeah. us to a one-world society. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, either one could be, but actually it'll probably be both. Um, and the reason why I say that is, you know, I think people's, their minds need to be prepared to accept certain things as true, even though they're not. And we see that going on right now with all the stuff we just talked about. But also, if you look historically, fear and uncertainty are huge motivators. I mean, you go back to the Middle Ages, you know, people were afraid of the Vikings and stuff and and roving bands of brigands. And so they were willing to give their freedom and all their possessions to, to their, the lords in order to have security and safety. So I could see some major event that would really scare people so much to say, take everything you have, just protect me. (laughs) (laughs) They'd say that to the, to the one world government. Pastor Greg Hammond, thank you so much for joining us. I hope we can have you on in in the future. Um, I'll do that. It was great to have you on. It was uh, too short. Um, But thank you so much for joining us tonight, and we look forward to talking to you again. God bless you. I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. God bless you. We'll be right back after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. 
For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. guests lined up for you before we get to our guest you know uh let me ask you a question are, are you a pastor out there are you a minister are you somebody who takes care of events that maybe you're looking for a speaker maybe you're listening to this your talk show host. who knows you're looking for that special someone uh for your next conference your next dinner banquet church event who knows what it might be folks check out Acaso media for speakers like uh our guest coming up right now. Uh, how about you remember Abe Bolden, the JFK Secret Service agent, Charlie Brandt, the man who cracked the Jimmy Hoffa murder case, uh, and others, so many others. See uh, Ocaso Media. Uh, it's right there on, in fact, if you're watching this live, you can see, you can see that the frame, and boy, a lot of good looking people there represented by Acasa Media. Yeah, they bring us a number of, of great right. guests. And, and, Contact uh, Bill McIntosh. He's a stand up guy. Uh, it does a lot for, a lot for a lot of people. 305-396-2806. The number for, uh, to arrange that. 305. 396-2806. Also want to mention, uh, remind everyone again, register for Awaken to the Shaken Conference, May 5 and 6. Registration is free. Gurney, <laughs> Illinois, we're, uh, we're going to be talking there. It's going to be so important, uh, so very important. Uh, uh, if you can make it, please do. Please do. I guarantee you a memorable time. Pastor Paul Begley, Russ Dizdar, uh, men, are they ever... They're great speakers. John Robertson, our program director, is going to be there as well. And uh, I just want to say also thank you so much to my wife and my daughter for that nice gift uh, earlier in the program today. Texas Ready as well. Texas Ready Seed Banks, rated high in the world. For good reason, folks, they've got regionally appropriate, open-pollinated heirloom seeds. Most seed banks don't take into account geographical differences. They do. They've got hybrids, or they've got uh, uh, certified seeds. Um, you, you know, most 
some seeds are only good for one garden. They don't reproduce true to type. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, you've got to produce or you've got to purchase stable heirloom seeds, Texas Ready. They've got them. They've got certified seeds. And among the seeds, each seed bank contains 80 plus varieties of vegetables and fruits, including eight dual purpose herbs for both culinary and medicinal purposes. The larger seed banks come with with uh, training manuals which teach you to garden properly. You can't go wrong. These are the official seed banks of the Hagman and Hagman Report. You're not prepared until you have one of these. That's Texas Ready. Dot net, TexasReady.net and make sure you talk to the seed lady listen to Bailey. She's called the seed lady for good reason. She knows her seeds. Just tell them anyone there that you heard it on the Hagman and the Hagman Report, TexasReady.net Coming up and joining us now is Reverend Robert uh, Bouquet. His, uh, he's a best-selling author. He spent his life uh, proving the impossible is possible and that miracles are real. Robert is a jet captain, a black belt, a former NASCAR driver, and he is the an author of his latest book, Prayer at Full Throttle, which was self-published and has climbed to the top of the charts. Charts, <laughs> excuse me, uh, Reverend. It's great to have you on this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Well, hey guys, thanks for having me, and hello to all of your listeners. Well, thanks Thank for coming you. on. Um, how about you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? and uh, a little bit about your book. Well, I'll tell you what, every time I hear somebody read my resume, I, I just I just laugh inside because when I was a kid, you would have never imagined that my life would turn out looking like this. Um, I will say this right up front. All I ever wanted to do was race cars for a living. And as a kid, I told my parents, God built me to race cars. But nobody ever listens to something like that. So... For the rest of my, my youth and my teen years, really all I was was the skinniest kid in school. Um, I was picked last in gym class every day. I was a bone-thin klutz. In fact, I graduated from high school, five foot ten, 130 pounds. I was literally a walking klutz skeletal structure with not an ounce of self-confidence. I ended up in college. I had no idea why I should be there. But... For a long reason I won't, I won't get into, I ended up reading the New Testament, which no one I knew had ever read. And that was the pivot point in my life. Um, it was unlike anything I'd ever heard in church. In fact, I found church to be quite boring. I thought it was, I thought it was odd that we're made in the image and nature of God, who is all powerful, and he lives in a city of gold and gemstones. And yet, as his son, I was supposed to be weak and live in poverty. That never made sense to me. But when I read the New Testament in college, I found out that I was to be strong, courageous, to speak boldly, to believe in the impossible. It also said to pay attention to your imagination. And while I was reading it, literally, as this... uh, uh, I mean, a lot of people can relate to this. If you don't walk with a lot of self-confidence... Uh, if you're afraid of what other people think all the time, uh, that's me. That was me. But as I read the New Testament, I saw all these visions for my life. And I believe the first time I ever heard God talk to me was then when he said, you will prove all things are possible. Because he needed, he needed somebody walking around who could actually prove by their own actions 
that that uh, whatever God asks you to do is possible. And so today we can talk about some of those things, but we can rifle through them. I mean, I was running a multi-million dollar company by the age of 24, all Bible-based. I went on to a terrific sports career. Uh, I got into racing, and then we we uh, finally here's the, here's the million dollar deal. That childhood dream of racing cars, which I believed was my purpose, when I finally stepped into that purpose, miracles started happening. We wrote a book about it called Prayer at Full Throttle. Uh, it became an Amazon number one bestseller. Uh, it has changed my life. It brought me to you tonight. And I'm here to tell everybody listening that that dream that is in your heart, the dream that other people laughed at or they told you couldn't be done or they said you were too young or too slow or too fat or too slow, all those things people discouraged you from, if you will walk into that calling, God will come right through your hands and your toes and you'll get your miracle. This book is living proof of that. Well, from my own personal experience and many other people who I've talked to uh, will say the same thing. You know, things will happen in your life that you seem or that may seem as though there's such an inconvenience or it's a hardship or, you know, you just could never imagine that, uh, you know, the Lord's going to take you down this road. But every single time, you know, when something like that happens, it's done for a purpose where, you know, one door closes and ten more open up. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, that's that's part of our our, uh, faith journey, part of our uh, trusting in the Lord, and it it doesn't come naturally. You know, we gotta. Uh, it, it takes a little while, but once you learn how to to know that your ways aren't aren't the ways, and, and that the Lord's way are, um, things do seem to fall into place. So how did um, how did you become uh, you you wanted to be a race car driver, um, and this propelled you into the uh, place that you are now. Well, it was interesting when I when I when I read the New Testament, it, it all laid itself out. And my college roommate, who's still in my life today, has watched all of this. There was a progression. The first thing I was supposed to do was get my black belt, which made absolutely no sense. If you would have seen me in a like in a swimsuit back then, me and a black belt do not fit in the same sentence. But I. I was very obedient, and I knew I was supposed to do that. And so I began karate, and believe it or not, people told me that I was too thin, I was too fragile. Can you imagine as a guy being told you're too fragile? And that I'd get punched once and quit. But the fact is, I had to get over my physical insecurities. I didn't know that was the reason at the time, but that that was why he put me on that journey. And uh, I would become a black belt in Shotokan karate. Uh, I w- became regional champion, which blew people away. But God works through people. He'll work through you if you give him that chance. But that, that was the first step. And while I was actually still training for my black belt, I ended up out of college um, working in my first job, which was in the television career or in the television industry. And in the Bible, I read that I was supposed to throw myself into my tasks so that other people could notice my improvement and progress. And so I did that. I threw myself into my tasks. And uh, at the age of 24, I was running Minnesota's largest cable television company. I was the youngest manager running the biggest, most profitable cable system. And that really launched my business career. But while I was uh, working in television, I was also paying for my flight career because I also knew that I was supposed to be a jet captain 
And the reason was I'd missed my window to race for a living, and I still had that that drive to um, to you know just operate high speed, you know, very powerful machines, and and uh, so I could see myself as a jet captain. And so I began working to fly myself into a career doing that. And you know what? Here's another shout out to your listeners. Everybody said it couldn't be done. That if I didn't go into the military, that it would be too expensive. It would take too long. By the time I finished, I'd be too old. Nobody would hire me, and I would certainly never get into jets. But you know what? I've been a jet captain for 18 years now. Can you believe it? So if we're going to, if we're going to listen to all that stuff the world says can't be done, you might as well fold up your tent and give up now. But God's ways are higher than the world's ways. But this is what's, this is what was supposed to happen. When I had finished accomplishing all these things, which I did so God would have testimony, I was to build, you're going to laugh about this, I was to build a bright red race car and get out and start racing and, and while I was doing that, write a book that would teach what I had learned. And uh, I had no idea, really, that the book would end up being called Prayer at Full Throttle. Uh, I, I mean, I, I didn't really plan all that. It just came crashing down. But you know what? Right now, to this day, I have a bright red race car. It has a book cover on the hood. Everything that I saw when I read the New Testament has now become true. And so I can stand, or sit in this case, I can sit before you and and I can speak into the hearts of all your listeners to tell you that what the world calls impossible isn't impossible at all. If you'll just trust God, give him your hands and feet and walk into those pictures he's showing you. You'll be amazed at what will happen. Amen. So you conquered uh, land and you, and you conquered air. Are you going to be uh, uh, going for a speedboating championship now? <laughs> I <laughs> no. don't know. That would be great. But I think, you know, really the call on my life right now is to do exactly what I'm doing, and that is to, to serve as a living testimony that we all have a calling on our life and, and it, it can be grand and spectacular, and if we'll, we'll, you know, that's okay. You don't have to be intimidated by that. If God gave it to you, it will be grand and spectacular. And that you don't have to let people discourage you. In fact, it, it's so interesting to me. The Bible tells us to be strong and courageous. And so when you look at the word courage, you can then analyze the people that you're spending your time around because there's only two kinds of people. There are people who will encourage you, you know, they will build your courage, they will magnify your courage, they'll embolden your courage, they'll make you better. But there's another kind of person. Those are the people who will discourage you. They will delete your courage, they'll, they'll remove your courage, and they will pave your way to failure. And you know what? That's what happens to most people. I, I, this is a long answer, I apologize. But in, in 2012, there was a study done of hospice patients called the Top 5 Regrets of the Dying. You can Google it. Top 5 Regrets of the Dying. The number one regret of a hospice patient is that they wish they would have had the courage. There's that word. They wish they would have had the courage to live a life true to themselves as opposed to the life someone else had expected of them. And we just rang the bell of about 98% of your listeners right now. My point is you, don't, yeah. you do not have 
to give up that life that you know is in your heart. Just stop listening to the discouragement and, and just walk into those pictures and give God a chance to do his miracles. Absolutely. Um, one of the areas that I know that um, we were going to get into tonight is the Johnson Amendment. Absolutely. No. Uh, forgive my ignorance. Five hundred one C three. Five hundred yes. I had to, yeah. to find that out. Five hundred one C three tax status on uh, religious organizations. It's an exemption. Uh, right. So tell us about the the Johnson Amendment and how um, this is one of my favorite on your topics. Radar. By the way, I, I love this topic. I yeah. can't wait to hear what you got to say. Well, I tell you, first of all, um, most people have never heard of this. Most pastors, and I have proof of this. We don't have time to go into the statistics. Most pastors have no clue what we're about to talk about, and it's it's just so sad. Here's what happened. I have been out uh, speaking in schools and businesses and uh, you know retirement organizations for a number of years now, just as a, as a mainstream motivational, inspirational speaker. Okay, so then we end up writing a book called Prayer at Full Throttle. Hits number one, and suddenly I'm in the world of ministry. And people ask me, they said, well, now that you're working in the ministry, which we've rebranded, by the way, robertbaki.com is now Robert Bakke Ministries. Uh, but people ask me, they said, are you going to go nonprofit and get a 501c3 tax exemption? And I hadn't really thought about it, but what caught my attention is the reason people asked was that if I got the 501c3 tax exemption, that I would no longer be able to speak from a political platform. And I said, what what do you mean? And they said, if you're a 501c3, you can no longer voice your political opinion. And I said, that can't possibly be right. I have a First Amendment right to free speech. They can't do that. Who says I can't do that? And, And I was told the IRS says, if you're a 501c3, you cannot support political candidates. So I asked why that is. Nobody knew. So I did the research. This is going to blow your listeners away. Back in 1954, I promise this is the truth. Back in 1954, Senator Lyndon Johnson, from Texas, by the way, uh, was competing for his Senate seat against a fellow Texan named Dudley Doherty. Dudley Doherty was giving Johnson a run for his money and he was funded, Dudley Doherty was, funded by a nonprofit organization. So Lyndon Johnson used his political position. He was also House Minority Leader at the time. Lyndon Johnson proposed a change, an amendment actually, in the tax code that would prohibit nonprofit organizations from financially supporting political candidates. And he slid it right through. It was never debated. He slid it through, and it became law. And it not only became law against nonprofits. When the law passed, it said that nonprofits, churches, and pastors can no longer support verbally or financially a political candidate, and they cannot verbally or financially support or oppose any current or proposed legislation uh, Legislation, either. Now, what's really interesting about that is 
There were no churches or pastors even involved in the Doherty campaign, but when the law became the law, it had waterfalled to encompass everyone. And so because of the Lyndon Johnson Senate fight from 63 years ago, to this day, a church has lost its influence on the political process. That's exactly right. And it's a colorful history, indeed. Interesting history, indeed. Um, wow. All right. <laughs> it stuns me every time I hear that, because many people, most people, I would venture to say, don't know the history behind that. And, uh, well, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, can you imagine if if that amendment would have said women can no longer voice their political opinions, or uh, blacks can no longer voice their political opinions, or uh, plumbers. If you're a plumber, you can no longer voice your political opinions. That ridiculous law is so restrictive that that any legislation that's proposed right now, it could be about abortion, it could be about anything, uh, prayer in school, whatever it is, the church the very Christian founding of this nation itself, our three founding documents, by the way, are 60% right out of the Bible. The founding fathers employed nine additional preachers to help them get the Bible scripture correct in our, in our founding documents. All of that biblical influence, all of it, has been removed from Washington, D.C., so even when we have a, a, a situation like taking prayer out of school or whatever it might be, Pastors sit back and do nothing for fear of losing their tax exemption, and it has to be changed. Indeed, it does. And I'm not, I don't know how that, boy, you'd have to change the entire tax code. A lot of people will lose. Of course, the other side of that, the Johnson Amendment, is the tax deductible status for, and I know you mentioned, or at least approached this for uh, people giving the, contributions to the churches but right so what i mean <laughs> well i think that's what the pastors ultimately are afraid of in, in fact this is thank you for bringing that up because i, I didn't cover it but the, the reason the tax exemption is so important to the pastors and the reason they fear losing it is that if you're a churchgoer and you give offerings or tithes and offerings to your church you take that as a tax deduction at the end of the year um, if your church loses its 501c3 tax-exempt status, then you, the churchgoer, when you give offerings, you lose your write-off. And so the pastors are afraid that you'll find another church where you can go ahead and take that write-off, and that's ultimately what they're so afraid of. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, it's just, it, it's just mind-boggling to me, the uh, the level of... Um, well, it's always about money yeah. at some point, you know? <laughs> isn't it? It's, it's money, sex, or uh, drugs. Maybe rock and roll. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> you got to throw <laughs> rock and roll in there, too. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And see, I can see that the church is not wanting to lose their status, but as far as the, the congregation goes, it's hard for me to, to, to wrap my mind around. Um, if you're donating money to a church, why would you... Worry if you oh, could man, write it off. You or believe not. me? So many people are always at the fourteenth, you know, day before tax day. What can I? What can I deduct? Right. Yeah. 
So uh, okay. not, well, we're next. Uh, go or, go ahead. Where, where do you want to go next, uh, topic wise? Oh, you're talking to me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh my gosh! Well, we've got a whole list of questions. Yeah, we uh, do. You know, regarding uh, regarding the book, what it does for people, why people don't pursue their dreams. Uh, uh, you tell me what you're interested. Well, in. we, okay, we, we we got about three minutes before we we, we have to take a break. Um, okay. Tell us something about the book. Um, um, here we we can we can accomplish in three minutes without uh, without bumping against the bottom of the hour break. Oh well, I tell you what, it's interesting. Only about this is another crazy statistic. Only about six percent of people. Six uh, percent of Christians have actually read the New Testament, and that that really kind of shocks people. Uh, but the reality of it is, only about six percent of people have actually read the book. And the reason they don't read it is it's very intimidating. If you look at the the King James version, you get about two pages into it and you just put it down because it's so difficult to read. I think that the the number one compliment we've gotten off a of prayer at full throttle is, uh, aside from the fact it's a very quick read and it's a very simple read, but it 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 simplifies the Bible in ways that people finally get a chance to see what's actually in the Bible. And it's everything we talked about is backed up, uh, backed up by chapter and verse. And it's all written to the way that we live today. So the current events that you're running into, I attach Bible scriptures to it. And so what happens is people read prayer at full throttle and it's very empowering. And it tends to take away that intimidation people have. For, for reading the New Testament. So it's kind of like a, a stepping stone into the, the big book, which I really believe everybody needs to read. It's, it's a very powerful book and the things that are in there, uh, really, really shock people. And hopefully reading Prayer at Full Throttle will get them in there. And, um, you have this here and, and we, we have just enough time, I think, before the break to cover this. Uh, you talk about your book titled Prayer at Full Throttle. In your book, you talk about performance-based prayer. Can you explain that, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. Performance-based performance -based prayer is really prayer followed by a corresponding action. In other words, you know, don't ignore God 365 days a year, and then when you're in trouble, uh, throw a prayer at him and then just sit there and do nothing and expect magic fairy dust to fall out of the ceiling. It's amazing. The entitlement mentality is alive and well in America and it's alive and well in the Christian community, too. I mean, they expect miracles to fall out of the sky, what I call magic buried as faith. And so we explain to people how uh, praying and then rising up out of your chair and getting to work towards what you're asking for will, in fact, help it manifest. And we can give you examples of that when we get back. How much time until the break? Well, we'll take it right now because I'm just amazed. You know, you, you mentioned earlier about uh, regrets, you know, deathbed regrets or end-of-life regrets. Uh, you're a jet captain, aerobatic uh, flight instructor, black belt, karate instructor, regional champion, best-selling author, race car driver, ski instructor. You ready? I'm getting tired, okay, uh, and was <laughs> and running a multimillion-dollar company by the age of 24 okay uh, this is who we're talking to and, and after shattering numerous and I mean numerous sales records uh, our guest eventually uh, uh, said goodbye to his business career moved on to be uh, moved on to captain jet aircraft I mean yeah just ah, what the heck uh, I can fly this uh, here hold my beer watch this right now no, we're, <laughs> we're talking about a, a, a man and the author and the author of course uh, prayer excuse me prayer at full throttle. I'm losing my voice. 
Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to uh, our guest tonight, uh, Robert. I don't want to slaughter your last name. It's Baki. Baki. B-A-K-K-E. That's right. Reverend Robert Baki. That's Reverend Robert Baki. RobertBaki.com. B-A-K-K-E. The Racing Rev. <laughs> there you go. We'll be right back with, with, with Reverend Brocky right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. It shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Uh, folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com. Masterpreps.com. Wow. Masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High quality items, made in America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely. Eric's a, it's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family, masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Trang Post in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to 18 major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We're offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues. And so can you. Check out our American Heritage Journeys kit at www.changelessandwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. You can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. Prayer 
start full throttle. How, how many of you and uh, I mean, how many of us? How many among us want our prayers to be at full throttle? We all do, right? And. and I can't think of a better title for a better book, uh, Prayer Full Throttle, How Performance-Based Prayers Make Miracles Happen. Our guest is the author, uh, Robert Bach, Bachy, <clears throat> excuse me, again, here I go. But uh, what, what a great title I was uh, saying that during the break, and uh, I really believe, folks, um, uh, our, our guest, the author of, of Prayer Full Throttle, um, and by the way, Go to, go to Amazon.com, grab, grab this book. It's in Kindle hardcover and paperback. I, I just love the, uh, physical copies. I don't think there's a better book out there for prayer in terms of, well, performance-based prayers. Make miracles happen. Uh, Joe, I'm gonna kick it over to you. Let's, uh, bring Robert back on and, uh, I, I'm impressed by, by this work. I really am. Yeah, abso- absolutely. We were just talking about the performance-based prayer. Uh, before the break and if we can let's get a little bit in, more into your book uh, prayer at full throttle um, how can it help transform christian activists into confronting a corrupt culture well the first things christians have to do or the first things christian need in their toolbox is they really need the word of god they need to understand what the book actually says and it's a constant frustration for me that there's a there's a huge population in the United States that believes in God. Faith is not the issue. Ninety two percent, regardless of what the media tells you, Gallup can prove it. Ninety two percent of America believes in God, but only about seventeen percent actually go to church, and most of them haven't really read read the book either. And so, what prayer at full throttle can do is it will bring the Bible to life for people, it will, in a very simplistic and easy manner, show you what's not only in the Bible, but how it relates to you personally. It'll empower you in the ways that you need to be empowered, and it will also show you then what's wrong with society, the the different moral issues, um, the, the lack of America as a nation to be able to dream anymore. Um, you know, the last eight years, we've really gone through an American beatdown. I mean, when you look at class warfare, which is really a joke when you think about it. In fact, if anybody's upset about wealthy people and you think that you've been victimized by a wealthy person, ask yourself this. If you received a letter tomorrow from a law office and it said that you've just received $25 million for doing nothing, would you take the inheritance? Of course you would. There's nothing inherently wrong with money. In fact, all the way through the Bible, God's chosen people were the wealthiest people on the planet. And that surprises people because the religious talk has always been that we should be living in poverty. But that's why Jesus warned us over and over again to beware of the teachers of religion. He said, hey, this is all about me now. Just listen to what I have to say. You know, uh, so... For people to be empowered and to go out and to change their neighborhoods, to change their communities, to rise up into positions of political office and carry biblical principles with them, which are the principles that made America the most prosperous nation in the history of the planet. For us to be able to do that, we have to know it was in that book first. And so what Prayer at Full Throttle does is it begins that growth process for everybody. 
Very interesting. Um, I want to kind of go down an avenue here. You know, you have succeeded and excelled in in much of of what you've done in your life, whether, you know, that be a race car driver, learning to fly, becoming an author. And uh, you you talk about um, how important it is for somebody to step into their their calling. Absolutely. It seems like you've had a number of callings. I did. No. <laughs> I think that pertains, you know, we all have our, uh, all of us who are born again, um, and who believe in God have a spiritual calling. And that seems to be separate, or at least, um, somewhat separate from our professional callings. And sometimes they can be one and the same. Correct. Uh, how, was, were you getting into and succeeding in, um, some of the things you had done for your occupation, your jobs, and in your life, did that transfer over to uh, succeeding more in your spiritual life, or was it the other way around? Well, it clearly started at my... It, it was spiritual first. It was it was the Word of God that, that told me, that showed me what I was supposed to do with my life. And, and to actually go do it is called obedience, and I wish more people would be obedient. But to be 100% clear, I had no self-confidence at all before I read the New Testament. I had no clue why I was in college. I, I, had, I just had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And to be, and I was literally the skinniest kid in my school. I was that kid who was picked last in gym class every single day. For that kid, to believe God was saying, I need you to prove all things are possible. I mean, that's the craziest thing anybody's ever heard. But I began that life's journey um, because of the spiritual awakening first. So, what I mean, whatever my life looks like today, guys, it comes from God himself, and it came from reading the word, which fed my spirit and then manifested out my my hands. In fact... Let me, give, let me give you a great example of how God works through people. I'm sure you've all heard the story of David and Goliath, right? Mm-hmm. This is another great religious misteaching because uh, it was so important and we missed it. David did not kill Goliath. If you read the story, it's really interesting. When, when, when uh, this nine-foot-tall Philistine was terrorizing everybody and everybody was running in other directions, the youngest of eight boys little David looks at a man named Saul and he says, hey, don't worry about this. I'll take out the Philistine. Saul laughed at him. And he said, don't be ridiculous. You're just a little kid, man. He's going to feed you through a meat grinder. You know, that's my paraphrased edition. But David said, no, no, he won't. When you read the story, David said this. He said, the Lord delivered me from a lion and the Lord delivered me from the bear and the Lord will deliver me from this Philistine. Now, that's really interesting that he was so humble that that he actually knew where his power came from. So then he goes out to stare down Goliath. And Goliath literally looks at him and says, you goofy little kid, I'm going to feed you to the birds. And David said, no, on this day, the Lord will strike you down. And then you know what he did? He ran. He ran at that great big beast that scared everybody in the other direction. And as he ran, think about this in terms of performance-based prayer. He ran, he loaded a slingshot, started twirling that stone over his head, and he fired the rock. 
And that's, that's what took out Goliath. It was David being humble enough to know where his power came from. He knew that the power of God came through him, and he ran. He actually put action into his faith. The book of James says that faith without works is dead. It says just like a human body without a breath is dead, so is faith without works. David displayed spectacular faith when he actually charged Goliath, and God came right down through his hands. But you know what we do as humans? Let me tell you what we do as humans. Einstein had it right. Einstein said that everybody is a genius, but if we judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, the fish will spend its entire life believing it's stupid. And you know what happens? We're so afraid of what other people think that when we voice a great big goal, just like David said, I'll take out the Philistine and got laughed at, when we get laughed at, we quit. And just like those hospice workers, who said they wish they would have had the courage to live a life true to themselves. No, no, no. What happens is we become that we become that fish that's trying to climb a tree, and we struggle through our lives needlessly because we didn't have the courage to do what David did, and that is rise to the call and let God work through us. And that's very well said. You know, you talk about the yeah. courage. And but, but obedience, too. Uh, I just keep getting that in my head, obedience. But go ahead. Yeah, when you talk about courage, um, at least what comes to my mind, and I'm sure what comes to a lot of other people's minds, are our situation, uh, you know, they, where where uh, you, you're going to have to go above and beyond, maybe even something out of character, um, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone, even sometimes putting your, your, your physical uh, well-being on the line. But and but that's not always the case. There's a lot of people that are, as you were uh, just alluding to, there's a lot of people who are paralyzed um, for fear of of discomfort, for fear of you know how others will look upon them, for fear of failure. And and if I if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is um, even just having the courage to to be obedient uh, to the Lord, and then having the courage to um, to do what's right for yourself, to be able to uh, step up and, and to fulfill uh, your calling in life. And I, I agree with what you said. So many people don't find their own calling in life because they're afraid to step out and get into that comfort zone. They, it's not that they don't have the courage. It's just that, uh, you know, we, we're in this society um, that is just so corrupt and the world is so corrupt. And, and people just seem to be uh, paralyzed through fear uh, for, you know, one of a million reasons. But I think that, well, I know for sure that the the faith walk, if you're all right with the Lord and your relationship with the Lord is okay, and you are being obedient, you're walking that out, I, there is nothing that anybody in this world uh, should be able to say, say to you or and uh, how they judge you. It shouldn't matter. And I think that, you know, if we go back to the basis, basics, um, you know, you lay that foundation, which is your faith first, and then you can build everything off that. If your foundation is not built on faith, which is, you know, the most solid thing, uh, then it's, it's going to crumble. And, you know, we see that uh, so often, and, and I've experienced that many times, you know, um, trying to do things, <laughs> trying to do things backwards. But a lot of times also, um, you know, like we have uh, Jesus, his example in the Bible, 
uh, he gave us the example. Not only did he tell us what we needed, he was the example, and we're supposed to be that be that example. What kind of um, inspirational? Uh, how, what motivated you aside from your faith? Were, were, were there certain people? Were there certain situations that helped you? You know, to get over certain um, obstacles in your life. Well, first of all, people just have to get over fear. No, I mean, nobody got laughed at more than I did. <laughs> so I don't care who you are listening right now or watching it via Skype. You didn't get laughed at more than I did. Okay, so listen, if God will work through me, he'll work through you. So that's just a done deal, you know, uh, right there. But what, what motivated me the most, um, you know, again, when you read the book, when you read the New Testament, it's going to jump out in different ways at different people. But for me, it was something called the story of the talents. And basically, it's a story about people who are, are given silver coins to, to invest and, and those who, uh, you know, go to work and they invest and they, they multiply what they had been given. Uh, they're given more and they're, they're celebrated. Uh, the word says that those who use well what they have been given shall be given abundance. Now, they'll be put in charge of many things and they'll be celebrated. And, and so the, the actual word is, well done, good and faithful servant. And so the first trigger words that hit me uh, uh, were in the, the story of the talents where, where it says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will put you in charge of much. As you read that story, the third of these three servants in this parable took what he had been given and he buried it in the ground for fear he was going to lose it. For fear he was going to lose it. Call that a fear of failure. So he buried what he had in the ground. Well, in the parable, when the landowner comes back and says, you know, what have you done with what I've given you? He said, I was afraid I would lose it, so I buried it in the ground. Here, here's what you gave me. And the, the, the third of these servants now, who did nothing, uh, they took what little he had, and they gave it to the one with the most, which is interesting because that's reverse socialism. You believe that? When they take from the, in fact, it, it says in the Bible, take from the one with the least what little he has and give it to the one with the most. And then they called that the, the person who did nothing lazy and wicked, and he's cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that story, which is in the book of Matthew, the first, the first book of the New Testament, the idea that if we were to multiply and make good use of what we were given, uh, we would be given abundance and we'd be celebrated, that registered with me just as much as the person who did nothing had what literally had taken away and he was cast into outer darkness. And I, for some reason, I just didn't want to be the, the one that was, was cast away. And so as I continued to read and I saw these visions for my life, I really believed that those were gifts and that I was to put them to use. You know, one of the ways um, in, in this entire story, what's happening, how I know these things are happening is I could see them in my imagination. And it's really interesting. We don't pay enough attention to our imagination, but the New Testament says that's one of the ways God talks to us. In fact, um, one of the scriptures, this is really interesting. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. 
Now, in the concordance, the word mind can be switched out with the word imagination, gird up the loins of your imagination. But I still wanted to know what that meant, and so I got this big book called the Strong's Concordance, and I broke that scripture down. And this, everyone, everybody who can hear my voice, you need to, you need to hear this. What God is telling us in that, that sentence is, strengthen the procreative power of your imagination. Strengthen the procreative power of your imagination. He's telling you that your imagination is strong and it has, it has, you know, procreative um, power to, 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 to manifest. There was another scripture that said, don't be conformed to the things of this world, but re- be renewed by the renewing of your mind. Again, the word mind can switch out with imagination. Renew your imagination. We need to, we need to think bigger and we need to think brighter. We need to think more spectacular things. And, and, uh, you know, those types of thought processes are what catapulted my life. And, and that's, uh, fascinating stuff. Um, Robert, um, in today's world, we see the political climate is unlike any other in the history, at least since I, I can remember, uh, with the division, with the uh, deception in the media and in both political parties. Our government is, is corrupt inside and out. It's horrible. And... Our, you know that reflects on our school systems, and you know it, we we were just talking uh, about the you know how the school systems are you know have removed uh, the Lord, removed prayer, the Bible, you know they've even taken Christmas and and uh, the word you know Christmas away and, and made it uh, the winter holiday and um, you know, <laughs> on and on and on, and you have uh, you know this adaptation of of Islam in in public schools. Everything is upside down, especially how it says it should be, or in the Bible it says this is how it will be eventually. Um, But at the same time, many uh, Christians find it so hard to live in this world. They get discouraged. Uh, There's no uh, victories on the battlefronts of Christian fights, whether it be, you know, the abortion fight, same-sex marriage fight, keeping the Lord in schools, keeping the Ten Commandments at the courthouse. It just seems like, you know, we're discouraged left and right. Um, how do you turn that that negative energy, or how would you advise people to turn, you know, the constant negative energy, the constant deception, the constant bombardment of, of satanic uh, influences into positive uh, lessons? Well, first of all, you just hit the nail on the head. It is so disappointing uh, what we've seen, not only in the last eight years, which I think was really a beatdown of everything that America ever stood for, but in the last several months, we've seen like never before a bias in the mainstream media that went even beyond the media and right into the polling agencies. Have you ever seen more corrupt polling ever in your entire <laughs> no, life? No. It, it, you know, it, it was ridiculous, and we could go for hours on that, and it, and it is frustrating. But one of the things we can do is start calling our congressmen and our different representatives and start making noise about the Johnson Amendment so that when we see Christianity um, being shoved into a corner, like you said, prayer being taken out of the schools, you know, the Bible used to be the primary textbook in our schools. 
But with the Johnson Amendment, we don't get the fight out of the church that we need because they're afraid. So, you know, we need, first of all, we need to do what is necessary so that pastors have the courage to, to rise up. But it's not just the pastors. Everybody who is born again, everybody who believes Jesus Christ is their Lord and their their Savior, you know, um, no more of this, your faith is personal to you. Because Jesus gave us a great commission, which is to what? To go into all of the world and make disciples of every nation. We're not supposed to sit quietly in our homes with our faith. That's, quite frankly, that's ridiculous. We are to be strong, courageous, speak boldly, go into the world. We're supposed to be Christian soldiers. And so I'm trying to empower people to rise up with their faith. And, and, and I'll tell you something else. Just to give you an idea of, of, of how um, so many, sadly, organized religion church services have, have bent the word. Did you know that, the Google this, the original Greek definition of the word religion is is defined as the bondage of men. Mm-hmm. Bondage of men. So when Jesus is warning us about religion, we need to understand he's trying to break us free from the bondage, which is, you know, weakness and living in poverty and, you know, all that stuff that at least I grew up listening to. Part of that was we were told, I, I brought this for you guys, so you have to let me read this, this sheet of paper for you. I made this for you. Okay. Uh, 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 I, I, I brought it along with me tonight. Sure. Um, we were told that we were supposed to be fruitful and multiply, that that was God's first command. We heard it in church all the time. Be fruitful and multiply. And they want us to have big families. That's what that meant, right? Big families, which is good for the church business. Well, that same first commandment goes on to use words like subdue and take dominion which means dominate. And so I started thinking, what does subduing and dominating have to do with having big families? So once again, I pulled out my big, thick, strong concordance, which taught me about the imaginations and everything else that we just talked about. And I broke down the first commandment in its context. You know, in other words, what does it really mean? What do those words mean in context? God's first command to us was not necessarily to have big families. This is right out of the concordance. These are the words that define who we should be. If you believe in God, this, this is what you're built for. Prosper, to grow, to increase, to enlarge, to excel, to accomplish, overflow, to conquer, and to reign. That is what we need believers to get into their hearts and into their thinking if we are going to make America the great and prosperous nation that it once was. No, you're absolutely right. Um, Reverend, we, we have about five minutes left before the end of the show. I want to uh, kind of ask you a question on left field. Sure. When you were writing this book, um, what was the was there anything if or one thing that you that you were surprised that you learned while putting the book together? Oh, surprised that that I learned. Um, well, what surprised me? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what it was. 
I used to argue about racing cars for a living. I mean, really, this was a big deal for me. I almost left. I mean, I almost ran away from home because all I wanted to do was race cars. And my parents, bless their hearts, you know, they would say, why would God build anybody to race cars? And this, this, this was my really self-centered, I didn't understand response, okay? I said, because, um, parents like to have, or parents like to have their, uh, parents like to see their children having fun. And so, God built me to enjoy racing cars, so when I race cars, it'll bring him enjoyment, because I'm having fun. Uh, it was all about me, if you didn't pick up on that. It was, it was all about me. Mm-hmm. What I never realized was, uh, as I was writing Prayer at Full Throttle, which I did not want to write, by the way, you talked about obedience. When, when it came on me one night that I was to write this book, and the book, by the way, does provide pictures of bona fide actual miracles that happened around the race car. If you don't think miracles are real, we included pictures to prove it. Um, uh, but w- while I was writing it, I was, first of all, to write it very simply so that everybody could understand it. This is not an intimidating book. It is extremely simple to read. But I also, just like I saw the pictures for my life in college, as I was writing the book, I knew it was going to succeed. I, I, I knew it. I could see myself being on television. I could see it going around the world. And it was interesting to see the pictures in my imagination. And what happened was, and it, keep in mind, this is all self-published. I sat home alone. I talked to God. I wrote this thing. I did all the promotions myself, financed it myself, which was a real test of faith. People get so clingy about their money, but you want to you wanna go big, let go of your money. But what happened was the book became a bestseller in three weeks. It had gone all the way around the world on live television, not not streaming. It went around on network live television into every region of the world in four and a half months. Uh, it's a multiple number one uh, bestseller on Amazon, and it has touched lives all around the world. And that's really... Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is I thought my car racing was about me having fun and going fast and turning left and bumping fenders. I thought that's what the car racing was all about, and it was totally wrong. Jesus needs disciples in, I'm choking up, in every arena. If you're an accountant, he needs you as a disciple. If you're a talk show host, he needs you as a disciple. If you're a race car driver, he needs you as a disciple, and he'll work through you to to accomplish his purpose. My auto racing went from two small local NASCAR tracks in Minneapolis to a book that would touch lives all the way around the world. And that's what I learned, that God has a plan for us that's bigger and more spectacular than we can imagine on our own. And if he'll do it through me, he'll do it through anybody, he'll do it through everybody that can hear my voice right now. So trust in God's plan for your life. Stop listening to the laughter. Rise up in courage. Give Him your hands and your feet and go after your miracle because it will come true. Amen. Reverend, one last question. We only have about a minute left. Sure. Uh, if someone wants to book you for a speaking event, event or wants a copy of your book, Prayer at Full Throttle, where do they go? Well, for speaking, uh, go to Ocaso Media. It's O C. Um, 
It's O-C-A-S-O, Ocaso Media, O-C-A-S-O. Uh, if you want the books, or the, 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 the I say books because it's in all formats, but you can go to Amazon, Prayer at Full Throttle on Amazon, or if you'd like a signed copy of the paperback, I love doing this, you can go to Robert Bakke Ministries, uh, B-A-K-K-E, go to Robert Bakke Ministries, and uh, I sign paperbacks there and personalize them and and, I love uh, it. I, I, I'm going to get one of the signed ones. I, I love the the signed copies. Hopefully, we can have you back on. Yeah. Love uh, to have you back on. Anytime, guys. All right. Thanks. Thank you. God so bless much. you, sir. Wow, what a powerful, what a powerful uh, segment that was. Reverend Ray uh, Robert Baki is our guest, and want to thank him again uh, for the uh, fantastic oh, interview. Gosh. That'll do it for us tonight. Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Have a great evening. Thank <laughs> you.